It's half past seven on Monday, the 19th of October 2020. Good evening, my name is Matthew Horspool and welcome back to our coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille happening virtually was meant to be happening in London in May, uh, but thanks to COVID-19. Here we are in a virtual conference on Zoom and this is a live stream of all the proceedings with some hopefully interesting and inspiring commentary along the way. We talked yesterday about the MC and the moderator. The MC for today will be Dave Williams and if Dave Williams' internet goes horribly wrong then the backup will be Judy Dixon. The moderator for this evening will be Francis Mary D'Andrea and the backup if the internet goes wrong is Ilka Staglin, um, Dave from the UK, um, Judy from the US, Francis Mary from the US and Ilka from Ireland. Today is the first of three thematic days and today is going to be about music and we're going to intersperse uh, the papers, well not intersperse, but like we're going to have the, the, the committee report, so the music report for today, and then all of the music papers, and then some ICEB business in the second session. Uh, the other themes incidentally are technology uh, tomorrow and literacy and learning on Wednesday. Papers were submitted well in advance. They were submitted uh, for the May General Assembly, in fact. So uh, obviously there's been about six months between May and now. And so some of the papers have been updated, some of them haven't. But what we've done is we've asked people to present their papers in advance. So instead of presenting their papers on the conference tonight, they were presented uh, on YouTube and audio versions of those have appeared on the podcast feed at live.brailcast.com. So it's going to be a fairly brusque programme. We will have a welcome from Dave Williams at 8 o'clock. Then we have this really interesting part of the programme where we find out whether anybody nominated themselves for the Executive Committee. We had the slate yesterday. Mary Schneckenberg will come back today and tell us whether anybody else nominated themselves for the, uh, for the Executive Committee. Then Geordie Howell will chair the ICEB Braille Music uh, Committee report. Uh, in fact, she'll present the report and chair the discussion on that. That'll last half an hour. And then we go into the music papers uh, discussion and questions, and that's also chaired by Geordie Howell. The papers are by Roger Furman and Claire Guylands, although it was presented by James Bowden. Braille Music in a Digital Age. Geordie Howell. Innovations in Braille Music Transcription. Dr. Mesem Kataminia, Challenges Facing Developing Countries in the Production and Teaching of Braille Music, and that's a case study from Iran. And uh, Dr. Sarah Morley-Wilkins, Securing the Future of Braille Music Production, and that's about the DAISY Braille Music Project. Then there'll be a break when we have the opportunity to come back and do some more commentary. And then in session five, uh, or the second session of today, we have uh, three half an hour slots. We have the Constitution and Bylaws report. That's by Nchaveni Nechituni from South Africa. Uh, that'll be presented and discussed. Then, um, well, a Braille bonus session from Judy Dixon on slates. That'll last five minutes or so. Uh, we may or may not cover that. We'll we'll see how we're going. Uh, then back for the Treasurer's Report. That's another half an hour from Jen Golden from Canada. 
and the promotion and publicity report uh, that's from Leona Holloway in Australia and that will conclude the day the day will hopefully finish um, at somewhere around 11 p.m. although yesterday we did manage to get caught through the program relatively quickly as I say, the MC for the day is Dave Williams. We haven't met Dave Williams yet, other than very briefly in the introduction of Delegates and Observers yesterday. Dave is a Customer Experience Manager for Braille and Technology at RNIB. He's also Chair of the Braillists Foundation, a member of the UCAF Braille General Group, former freelance technology trainer, audio producer, and Braille enthusiast, although I don't know if former Braille enthusiast is the right word looking at these notes. I think uh, still very much a Braille enthusiast. Uh, was a marketing manager at Dolphin and director of ACB Radio from 2003 to about 2005. Geordie Howell is a soprano, a totally blind soprano, uh, and very, very, you know, as I say, chair of the, the Braille Music uh, Committee within ICB. Very, very musical, and it'll be good to hear from her later on. And we will also hear from James Bowden, uh, possibly in the, the Q&A. Uh, James started learning Braille in mainstream school, actually, at age six, but then became a programmer for Dolphin. Uh, learnt lots about Braille translation through that because he wrote the Cypher Braille translator for Dolphin and uh, several other projects along that line, and then went on to work for RNIB and is now the Braille technical officer. So joining me to break down this programme in uh, some level of detail, I'm joined by two people. I'm joined by Holly Scott Gardner as of yesterday, but I'm also joined today by Sally Clay. Uh, Sally is a musician, uh, a performing musician, uh, a reader of Braille music, and might have some interesting things to say. Of course, we'll have some interesting things to say about the papers in particular. So, Sally, welcome to the stream. Uh, I don't know if you've got any thoughts. You've read all the papers. Was there anything that stood out to you in particular? Well, I think the um, the technology in a digital age, the Furman and Guilin's report, that, that did stand out for me because it, it's very relevant to me. I, I'm a singer and um, I've used Braille music a lot in sort of choral contexts, you know, um, I mean, these days I'm not so much classical, but definitely, you know, working out in rehearsals, you know, the, 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 we need stuff to be as immediately accessible as possible. Um, it's always subject to change. Anyone that's been in the sphere of, you know, performance or whatever is always going to be uh, aware of that, you know, that everything changes at the last minute. You've got to put bits in, you've got to insert various bits of braille and and what better vehicles to do that than say the braille displays like the orbit reader and some of the braille displays that they were talking about um in that report so yeah that's that is brilliant and also i um i found dr catamenia i think that's his name um i found his report really really um fascinating but also very hard because it just made me realize how lucky and how kind of privileged and spoilt we are in terms of our access to braille music when in fact in in his country just the whole um musical backdrop is so completely different you know to hear it, it, even the idea of you know music being allowed being respected being valued is is goes up for questioning you know and um over here we just take it for granted so so yeah it definitely um made gave me food for thought there 
Sure, and uh, we'll come back and talk about those papers in some detail in just a few minutes. Before I do that, the second commentator, as I say, for this evening and for the, the latter half of the session in particular is Holly Scott Gardner. Holly, we met yesterday and we'll be talking about the Constitution and bylaws and the Treasurer's report and the, the PR report. Was there anything reading through those reports, uh, Holly, which you did earlier on, I think, that, that really stuck out for you in those. Is there anything that's particularly controversial or not controversial or anything seem a bit strange? I don't think there's anything particularly controversial. I actually think they're three really solid reports. They're not overly lengthy, but they are very detailed, which is always a good thing when someone manages to be quite concise. What I did find quite interesting is the um, idea of actually establishing the Public Relations Committee as a formal committee and I think, I think that's personally a very positive step and it shows that ICEB is really focused on outreach and engagement which of course as the organisation ages and grows becomes increasingly important. So we start with the review of the Braille Music Committee report. Geordie will present this live and there will be an opportunity for questions, but it's perhaps worth talking before we really get into listening to what Geordie has to say. It's possibly worth mentioning that the way ICEB works is there's the ICEB executive and the ICEB executive set charges for various committees. So if you read the Braille Music Committee, report, the first thing that you'll see in the report is the list of all of the charges and how well the music committee has done with those charges. So for example, um, ambiguities between Braille Music and UEB, the committee's been charged with sorting that out, preserving hard copy Braille Music, developing the International Braille Music Code, working towards automated Braille Music production and access to Braille Music on uh, you know BRF files and that sort of thing. Uh, Braille music teaching and a few other charges along those lines and so those charges uh, have been set by the executive to be carried out by the Braille music committee and so the report predominantly will talk about all of those uh, and then obviously there'll be time for questions. Then we move on to the papers and uh, the very first paper that's on the agenda whether we go in order or not I'm not uh, I'm not quite sure quite how the chair is going to do that but the very first paper on the agenda was the Roger Furman and Claire Guyland's presentation. Roger Furman of course uh, is part of the ICB Braille Music Committee in his own right and he also runs Golden Chord. Claire Guyland's, um, I sort of know Claire Guyland's, I don't know Sally whether you know Claire Guyland's, she's a, a teacher I think as far as I can tell. Well, yeah, I mean, she's very well respected within the sort of Braille music community. She's She is a teacher, but she's so much more than that. I think she's been an active Braille music um, exponent, user, whatever you call it, you know, for a long time. And um, she, it's kind of nothing she doesn't know, really. You know, she's one of those people that you, you just know that, you know, you could ask her anything and she pretty much knows it. How... Um, I haven't, I mean, I've, I've met her once and she definitely was very, very capable and very articulate. I just, but I don't really know much about her now, um, so much recently, but I definitely know that she's, she's been, um, around for a long time. So she's definitely, uh, very well entrenched in the Braille scene in terms of music. Yeah. And the paper, uh, presented by Roger Furman and James 
Bowden. I don't know whether we'll see Claire Guylands on the call tonight. Uh, to me, it was interesting. I don't know whether you uh, heard much of, of what James had to say. It was really interesting that he was talking about, um, you know, when we when we think about reading Braille music on an, an Orbit reader, the first thing that we think is that the line is way too short and that it's not multi-line. So how on earth could you read it? And yet that's offset by the fact that um, it doesn't fall off the music stand it doesn't fall off your knee um and yeah, actually right. yeah I, I thought that was a fun observation and feels but like I thought, and it's so important actually because because you know you are sitting there i mean i i've done it so many times myself you know you i've got a wedding to learn some music for and i've got to do it quickly or something and the music keeps falling off the music stand and it's actually you know fun as it is it's actually really irritating and can really slow you up you know it is kind of just juggling your fingers and your feet and trying to play the piano and stuff actually what you need is something a smooth surface and something easy to use you know and that did definitely come across when James was talking about it yeah and the time I mean how often would you lose your place if you're reading braille music and playing the piano at the same time you can't do both well, no, and and actually what I used to do, I mean, I had this stupid little trick that I used to get blue tack and stick it on the bit that I was at, you know, so I wouldn't lose my place. But even then you have got to faff around, whereas it's so much quicker on a Braille display because I think he was demonstrating a way that he could search for a particular bar number. Um, and, you know, that did make it a lot easier. In, in the more current Braille music's uh you know braille music that's produced you actually have something called bar over bar which means you get the bar numbers down the side of the music or and you get one it's certainly in piano music you get one hand right hand over left hand and um and it's so much easier to read because the bars are all down the side of the left hand side of your page whereas in the old system the bar by bar which some of which you still get you know if you order an older piece or one that's been written a long time ago in terms of produced a long time ago then you um that is very difficult to find your place because it doesn't have any bar numbers and sometimes you haven't got a clue. So, yeah, the Braille display is very, very useful in many in many situations in that instance. Yeah, and it's I, I'm glad you talked about bar by bar versus bar over bar because it was one of the things that James mentioned, and I thought this was really interesting, was that reading on a display, a single-line display like the Orbit Reader, um, he was saying that it kind of felt a little bit like reading bar by bar music and that it was an experience that was very familiar to him. But my first thought was, well, okay, if it's a, it might be you know familiar to you because you've been reading music for 20 years, but what about somebody who's learning music you know in, in secondary school now how much bar by bar music are they really going to be encountering? And it sounds from what you're saying like there's a fair old amount of it still out there. Well, yes, especially in the hard copy stuff. You know, you order a, um, some of these stuff, you know, some of these um, pieces have been produced a long time ago. And um, I've definitely been given um, stuff bar by bar quite often. And actually, it's quite different. In, in many ways, for example, when you're reading intervals, um, you know, if you're reading a chord in bar, in bar by bar, it, um, it's voiced differently and the, the signs for the chord are written differently to the um, bar over bar system. So you have to know that. And if you don't, you suddenly, you know, you realise you've been playing all the wrong chords for half the music. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's very different. And, and you do have to kind of... Um, I think that's very important to note, actually, that, you know, we, we do we do still encounter that quite often. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to worry now. I don't read an enormous amount of braille music and I get confused when in, is it is it they read up in the right hand and down in the left or down in the right hand and up in the left for, for intervals. And, and that's that's bad enough for me, let alone a different system for bar by bar versus bar over bar. <laughs> 
I think they all read up in bar over bar, from what I can remember. It's been t- uh, sorry, bar by bar, um, and then bar over bar. You're right. They read down in the right and up in the left. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's cool because it gives you the top line and the bottom line. I suppose. I guess that was the thought mm-hmm. behind that. Um, not that anybody. Yeah really knows the thought behind that but it would seem to make sense to me that that's <laughs> yeah i know and but but you know i think i think what was what was really good about this because i think what james had mentioned was that the bar numbers are very much visible um in the you know when you're using a braille display for example that you can access the the bar numbers so i think that is the one key thing that makes me really detest bar by bar but the one you know massively positive step forward if you're using a braille display that you can actually um view the bar numbers and find things very quickly Mm. and the ability to edit that was something that made me sit up and pay attention i i I don't know as i'd really want to be uh in a choir practice with a braille display reading music because i i feel like i would look out of place but actually the ability to add notes in would actually be quite helpful Oh yeah, and to be honest, I it's, it's funny actually because I have no um, no qualms about getting my braille display. I mean, I did I do stick it under the pew quite often when I'm in a choir practice, um, and kind of hide it so that it isn't mm. you know it doesn't look too obvious. But you know, a lot of the time, unless you're well, it depends on your choir, I suppose. But often people are reading, and if they're reading, then why shouldn't I? Kind of thing. So so yeah, I, I would definitely find it very useful, to, especially in a rehearsal situation. You know, um, and when they're talking about different you know figures a figure or whatever but you know and we have no idea where where those are in in music and then you know being able to input those and as you go or you know if, if um you could maybe put extra dynamic markings if depending on what the conductor wants you to do you know it's all sorts of um instances in which they can be used yeah i was more thinking about i mean obviously people read but people are reading from paper or maybe people are not reading from paper i wonder if we look at you know particularly community choirs and things like that how many people are starting to read braille from tablets now i don't have any statistics on that but that would to me make me feel a bit more comfortable about using a braille display if somebody else was reading from an ipad or something like that yeah i suppose so i have no sense no such um you know no such uh, worries about that i'm just i just bolt you know barge in get my braille display out and read and i don't really care but i think that's just my age (laughs) well maybe maybe i should just not care as much i mean i'd do a lot better if i didn't care as much i guess yeah maybe but i think some you know so it is good to have a healthy balance of um of integrating isn't it So, so you do you do We appear to have lost Sally. I wonder if that's... Do we know if that's... Have we still got Holly? Holly is sending, but... Oh, hello. There we go. Yes, we've still got Holly. So I think the problem problem might be with Sally because we've... uh, I I can't hear Sally, but I can hear you. So uh, hopefully... Sally will rejoin us on the stream very soon. It's uh, 7.49pm. You're listening to live coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille. Just uh, while we try and get Sally back, uh, I'll, I, I want to talk about the next paper, which was Geordie Howe's paper on transcription, because I thought it was fascinating um, that there were Braille transcribers, uh, music transcribers who are blind 
and that they were still using Duxbury. Like they weren't using a Braille music translation tool. They were just using Duxbury off the shelf with with six key entry. And I thought that was quite interesting. You know, why would they not use translation software for music? Because they do use it in the cited workflow. Um, but they have them. They have their Braille music dictated to them, and they have their Braille music dictated to them at an enormous speed. Um, I don't know on the podcast uh, and on YouTube there is actually a demonstration of the transcriber being dictated to and the speed is just absolutely insane it's out of this world I, I I work as a transcriber but I don't think I would be able to transcribe at the pace that they were transcribed at so I'm really hoping that somebody asks how much practice does it take um, you know do, do they really read at that speed? Um, how long did it take to get to a point where they could actually understand transcription at that speed? The other transcription paper, because I think we're still waiting for Sally to come back in, was from Sarah Morley Wilkins on the Daisy Braille Music uh, Project. That started in Norway. And the real takeaway from that paper for me was that there was a, a, a real lack of... Uh, good quality music XML. Music XML being the source file, uh, and we, we talk all the time about Word documents that haven't been structured properly with headings and 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 what you know. But um, apparently, in the Braille music landscape, there are lots of dodgy uh, music XML files, and so Daisy was going to try and sort that out. And there are also some gaps in the music XML standard. And I'd li- quite like to know what the timeline is for you know when are we going to get those gaps sorted out, um, and. Hello. Certainly there's a timeline and we've got Sally back. So this is brilliant. Uh, welcome back. Hi, guys. I think we, uh, <laughs> you know, it's I'm always... So sorry about that. Oh, it's all right. Don't happens. worry. It, it um, happens to the best of us in these sorts of meetings, I think. Um, it, it's quite surprising, actually, that we haven't had more of this happen. Um, but I... I just gone through some of the other papers. Uh, I don't know whether you, you... We were talking before we came on the stream and you said that the other paper that really interested you was the one from Dr. Katamina from Iran. I don't know if you had any thoughts about where to start exploring that paper. Well, yes, um, I, I do. Um, before, I just I did actually manage to catch you talking about Geordie's paper, and um, and I and I too just just before we go on to the to Katamini's paper, um, I actually did think to myself that is an incredible speed that they work at, and and actually it's it's unbelievable. You know, I think that that seems to me like it would be a lot of a lot of work, and um, it sounds great. I mean, it does actually sound like something that I would. Be very interested in learning how to do however it still does kind of require a lot of sighted help doesn't it it does but wouldn't it be amazing if you could train a sighted person to be able to dictate music like that and that i mean that to me is almost more impressive than the fact that it's being done in a transcription environment what's more impressive is that i had a sighted girlfriend and what that's basically telling me is that i could give her a training book on how to dictate music and she would be able to dictate it in a way that would make sense to me. And I suppose I always sort of knew that that was possible, but I didn't think that anyone had actually done any work to make it possible in the real world. And that that to me was almost more of a take away from it than the transcription process itself. Uh, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, they've got to be quite a dedicated sighted person however i mean i'm thinking about this actually and thinking um, in a university context that actually might be really useful especially if you're at conservatoire level you know you're studying some classical music and um you you need 
to have a piece dictated and it is often I mean I used to painstakingly go through pieces with my reader and he used to dictate it over you know it would take so long to do a song and and he'd be trying to he was actually German so we'd kind of do it half in German half in English it was hilarious but um you know it, it was a faff and I think that um this would dramatically speed that up and really if 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 you had someone like a reader or someone that was very much going to be your your eyes from that point of view and and, and had the time and inclination to do it it would definitely be something worth worth uh, pursuing It's five minutes, well, six minutes to eight, and this is the ICEB General Assembly live coverage. I'm talking to Sally Clay about the papers that will be discussed in about half an hour's time, and there's one more that wanted some discussion, which was from Mason Katamina from Iran. I just thought it was brilliant that they have Braille in Iran in the first place, uh, but I, I don't know if there's anything that stood out from the paper that, that particularly uh, wanted some comment before we actually got started. I think it was it was just the fact that, you know, there's so much um, or there's so little value of, of for music. And, I, and yeah, I think it is really impressive. They do have Braille there. And, and, and what I was kind of really interested in, funnily enough, which he didn't touch on, was how, um, you know, Iranian Braille you know farsi braille or whatever you know um works because i i don't know how that works in comparison to english braille or you know um international ueb or whatever how that works um and how they integrate any directions they need to um integrate into the music um so that it's understandable to somebody who whose first language is farsi for example and i don't know how that works and how they would access the the uh, the braille, so it'd be an interesting thing to find out. It would but, be really um, interesting, wouldn't it? I don't know if we're actually going to get him on the call, sadly, because uh, of the US sanctions. And that was the other part of the thing that really stuck out for me was it's such a political paper, isn't it? In terms of uh, yes, women can't sing. Oh, I know. I mean, it was just unbelievable. It was just such a different landscape, you know. I mean, it's I've I've been very um, vocal about my um, distaste for the current kind of um, more a ban on singing, you know, with with COVID. And I'm thinking, God, we I have no idea, you know. This is nothing compared to how how the landscape looks there. Very bleak, isn't it? And U.S. sanctions. And I I sort of I read through that paper and watched the report and I just thought you know it's really sad I I mean I'm sure there are good reasons why the US has imposed sanctions on Iran but I just thought it's really sad that all this political stuff's going on and they just don't have access to the international libraries and all because of political sanctions I know I mean it's crazy but you wonder um how much sighted people have access to if you know what I mean, and in the in the landscape, you know, is it is it the same ratio that we have? You know, because I don't know, I can't remember the the figures for for what we have. You know, so it was something like ten percent of all media or whatever is is accessible, or, or you know, all literature produced or something is it's something ridiculously small for us here. And you wonder if um what the percentage of things that are accessible to blind people is like in Iran. I mean, my hunch would be that because of the politics of it all, it's probably going to be less, isn't it? Um, than we have here. I would think it's going to be less. Although he did say that 
music is almost illegal. So, I mean, perhaps there isn't actually very much music in Iran, full stop. <laughs> well, this is what I'm wondering, you know, is, is that the case? Is it, is there, um, but that wasn't always the case, was it? So I guess it's the current landscape and the current political um, backdrop for it. So hopefully, um, you know, as things, hopefully things will change and, and as they do, there's more access. But it's good that they, they are involved and it's good that they um, at least have the connections to the people that can provide these things. So hopefully, I guess it's trying to um, trying to campaign as much as possible within that um, legal structure. Yeah, absolutely. And Dr. Katamini himself is doing a lot of work. Uh, I don't know if you read the introduction to his actual paper, but he's he's set up a school and is teaching Braille music and is uh, he has a profit making enterprise um, <clears throat> that. Uh, the funds of which go towards producing braille music. So there's definitely some work going on to equal the playing field as much as it can be equaled, I suppose. Well, that's it. And he he does sound a very, um, very inspiring guy. And so, I, you know, it was really good to read his report. Time now is coming up to one minute to eight and I'm just looking uh, at my screen at what's happening on Zoom um, there's a fair few people in the waiting room still uh, we've got 29 participants and I don't know actually who's yeah 31 in the waiting room so that suggests that we're not quite ready to get started yet or maybe we are ready to get started I'll start pre-fading Zoom in a second but uh, just to reiterate the first voice that we'll hear tonight will be Dave Williams um, who is the MC for the evening. And uh, then we'll move on to Mary Schnackenberg for the nominations committee. And then we will go into um, Braille music. Uh, there'll be a different set of observers today from yesterday. Um, so there might be some repeating of, you know, Zoom protocols and that sort of thing. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get started. So... Yes, I'm just listening on. We're still testing on Zoom about people being able to mute and unmute themselves. They're still testing out the uh, the delegates' audio, so possibly we're going to be a few minutes late starting tonight. It's just hit uh, 8 o'clock now. Oh, it's all gone quiet. No, they're still... They're still testing. Oh, well, we'll just uh, keep talking as best as we can. <laughs> um... Is there anything that I haven't asked that you would have wanted me to ask before we get started? Oh, um, I don't not I don't I don't think so. Not yet. No. <laughs> well, that's all right. Um, well, the waiting room's just been admitted, so I think I'm going to fade up Zoom at this point, okay. and uh, hopefully we will hear Hello from Dave and Williams. Good evening from the UK. Good morning and good afternoon to our friends around the world and a very warm welcome back to the seventh General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille, hosted by the UK Association for Accessible Formats. Today is day two of five and our theme is Braille music. My name is Dave Williams from the Royal National Institute of Blind and Partially Sighted People, RNIB, in the UK. And it's my huge honour and pleasure to be your MC for today. Before we go any further, 
I've been asked to remind you of our notes on Zoom and our meeting protocol. So that we can keep things running on time, there will be a five and a one minute warning uh, during debate uh, just to advise when that discussion is approaching a conclusion. And uh, if all works to plan, old technology, the venerable Perkins Bell will uh, hopefully be uh, the signal. But I will also uh, speak as well in case that's a little bit uh, off the microphone. We realise that it's very much a personal choice, but if you would like to enable your video, uh, you are very welcome to do so, and it will benefit our um, sighted friends. Everyone should please check their microphones at this point. Um, I can hear that some people are unmuted. So if you could please go ahead and mute yourself when you're not speaking, this will happen automatically uh, for observers. And during discussions, I, um, ICEB delegates, uh, you can request the floor by stating, um, by unmuting your microphone and stating your name and your country, so your full name and country, uh, and then please wait uh, before uh, to be acknowledged by the chair of the debate uh, before continuing speaking. So you can toggle your own microphone on Windows, you do this by pressing Alt with the letter A. On Mac OS, you do this by pressing Option with letter A. And on iOS, you can find the mute button in the bottom left corner of your Zoom app. And if you're joining us on the telephone uh, to unmute, you press the star key followed by the number six key. And if for some reason that's not working for you, please raise your hand uh, and you do that with the star key and number nine. We hope to have time to allow our observers to also ask questions. You'll be invited to raise your hands during discussions and you can do that on Windows, it's Alt with Y, on Mac, it's Option with Y, on the uh, iDevices, you press the More button, which is in the bottom right-hand corner, and then choose the Raise Hand button from there. And if you're dialing in on the phone, as I said, you can press the Star key followed by the Number 9 key. Moderators will unmute mics and invite you to speak. The raised hand function should be used for questions directly linked to the debate. Okay, the chat function has been disabled if you're tabbing around wondering where that's gone. Uh, and the presenters are who are using screen readers, um, we would please ask or suggest that where possible, you make use of headphones so that we don't hear your speech coming over the, uh, the microphone. Okay. In the event that Zoom stops working, um, we have contingencies in place that will be communicated via email and social media. And we thank you for your understanding. So there we go. So that's the uh, housekeeping, hopefully, uh, out of the way. And uh, everybody's aware of, uh, of how Zoom is supposed to work, at least. Um, and before we go any further, the first item I have on this evening's uh, agenda is to check in with our nominations and Mary Schnackenberg. Uh, have we any new nominations to be being received? 
Greetings, everyone. Dave, can you hear me? Yes, indeed, Mary. Yep. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, greetings, everyone. On behalf of the Nominations Committee, I'm pleased to advise that we have no additional nominations. However, on day four, in our slot on day four, um, I do want to take a little time to acknowledge the people who are leaving the Executive Committee um, who have given amazing service to ICEB. So I'll see you again in a couple of days. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you so much, Mary. We really appreciate um, all your help with uh, nominations. Before we turn our attention to the future of Braille music, uh, if the Assembly would permit me a very brief moment, I would like to pay tribute to the man who taught me and countless others in the UK to read and write Braille music. Sid Wilson, mentioned briefly by the UK delegation yesterday in memoriam, was the music teacher for many decades at St Vincent's, a school in Liverpool for blind and partially sighted children, where he himself had been a student. Mr Wilson, could we all mute ourselves please? Thank you. Mr Wilson instructed hundreds of children in playing a wide range of instruments, critical listening skills, and to read and write braille music. Thanks to Mr. Wilson, a number of students from St. Vincent's were successful at the UK National Braille Music Literacy Awards, supported by the Gardener's Trust since 1992. Sid himself was an accomplished pianist. We also marvelled at his mastery of the clarinet. Following an extended period of poor health, Sid sadly passed away in April this year. Sid will be remembered for his timeless grace, monumental talent, acute sincerity and boundless generosity. Mr Wilson's playful mnemonic for helping beginners remember braille music notation went as follows. Date cake, eaten daily, feeds every grim-faced house guest in American jazz bands. So you make of that what you will. Many of, the, many of us are of course aware that braille literacy in general promotes independence and opportunity for blind people around the world. The same is true for braille music. Countless singers, instrumentalists, composers and arrangers, producers, teachers and students value this unique tactile system that accurately represents musical notation, timing and dynamics. Today, we will hear about the exciting innovation in Braille music for a digital age. We'll also learn about the challenges facing Braille music production and teaching in developing countries and a project designed to secure the very future of Braille music production itself.
So attendees, again, are reminded you can unmute yourself, Alt-A on Windows, Option-A on Mac, Start, followed by Six on the phone, and it's bottom left if you're using the app on an iDevice. Uh, you're very welcome to do that when invited to contribute. And then hopefully we'll also have time uh, for observers to raise hands, and that's Alt-Y on Windows, Option-Y on Mac, You'll know this off by heart by the end of the night and it's uh, star nine on the phone and then you press the more button followed by the raise hand button so now we turn to the icb braille music committee report and discussion which will be chaired by geordie howell geordie good morning everyone good evening good afternoon and thank you for that introduction, Dave. I'm really excited to see so many of my friends here, my music colleagues from Australia and from all over the world. I'm sorry we couldn't be in London, but this is a pretty good thing to be sitting in my warm house uh, and have you all here with me. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the music committee just because some of our observers may not uh, be aware of exactly how it works, and then go through some of the charges that we've been working on for the last four years and update you on a bit of progress. And that way we can have a discussion about the future of the Braille Music Committee and plan a bit of work for the coming term. As a subcommittee of ICEB, the Music Committee works to align unified English Braille to the International Braille Music Code and to avoid conflicts and highlight any ambiguities. And we achieve this, as I mentioned, through charges which are approved by the ICEB executive after the committee has come up with those. Our work is undertaken via an email discussion list. We have a voting member from each country and several member observers as well from each country. So discussions involve both members and observers. So if I, um, and it's, it's lovely to see some of our committee members and observers here today. So if I outline a few of the charges, charge one is to continue work on um, isolating ambiguities between UEB and the music code. And we do this by consulting with ICEB committees around relevant discussions or decisions regarding Braille music and UEB. Um, and UEB has now been adopted in all member countries. So the committee's main purpose is to outline uh, those conflicts. Um, and we have country variations and formatting differences. So some of the topics of discussion have included UEB brackets within a musical context. As I reported in 2018, the committee has found, it, found that uh, brackets within a musical score are treated differently by member countries. So um, I've included in my report, as you will no doubt see, that um, there's a quote from the Barna 2015 document, which beautifully clarifies uh, how brackets should be treated uh, in a musical context. Barna states that there are three different brackets, uh, parenthesis markings, um, used for music transcriptions. We have literary brackets, the UEB brackets, obviously, um, as employed in ordinary literary text, 
uh, music parenthesis, that's the dot six followed by dot three, which is uh, a parenthesis within, <coughs> excuse me, the music line, and special parenthesis, which are used either above the music line, um, around coursing symbols or bar numbers. And the music committee suggests that, uh, yeah, the, this Barna 2015 explanation clarifies the use of brackets. And, uh, you know, when, when it doesn't, uh, you can have a transcription note to further clarify. Uh, so we've also discussed that there are several aspects still under discussion um, that are perhaps not covered by the current music code. And this, these may be um, collated to further develop the international manual uh, in consultation with other non-English speaking countries later on. The second item under charge one is to create a list of braille music uh, courses or manuals available in UEB that can be added to the ICEB website and differentiate between transcription manuals and courses manu uh, suitable to the teaching of Braille music for children and adult learning. And we're excited to report that the Music Committee's webpage is now up and running and is linkable from the ICEB website and contains a list of resources produced by our member countries in Braille music and UEB. And if there, are resources, if there are resources that you are aware of that are not included in this list, please let us know because this page can be updated um, and it's great to have you know, the more resources, the better. Item 1.3 is to compile, compile documentation around exceptions to the international uh, manual and setting out our country formatting differences. For example, uh, we have an Australian music addendum, uh, the UK UEB and music guidelines, and obviously BANA 2015, the most comprehensive document, um, which is not an exception to the manual, but it's obviously another document to reference. So on our ICEB music webpage now, we have our guidelines listed. So you can find your country specifications. Uh, charge two is to create a call to action concerning the need to preserve the heritage of Braille music only available in hard copy at master format, presenting that call and a summary as to how to progress uh, this charge to ICEB. At the 2016 General Assembly, we passed a resolution regarding that, encouraging member countries uh, strongly to devote time and, and effort to preserve hard copy and make it available to their students, uh, to their clients, sorry. Such a teacher, aren't I? <laughs> Everything's about students. <laughs> um, we have particularly focused on following the progress of the digitization of uh, Braille music, particularly successfully in the US. And we encourage other countries to do the same, although it does take a lot of financial and time resources, particularly around the proofreading of such of such digitization of scores. Um, it may be something that we wish to discuss today because you know, it's an important charge. Charge three is to encourage the continued development of the international 
Braille Music Code through liaison with countries which have active uh, Braille Music Committees and collate progress. And so our first item on that, under that is to investigate the possibility of collaborating um, around the update of the new International of Braille Music. Um, obviously, there are some signs in contemporary music notation, and as we'll see in one of our papers today, non-Western music notation that are not covered by the current manual. And so I'm looking forward to uh, discussing, discussing this charge. In 2016, we also had a resolution towards the uh, potential updating of the manual. And um, I'm looking forward to progressing that this term. Obviously, priority has been around um, <clears throat> create, the creation of an international Braille music tool. And we're going to hear from later on from Dr. Sarah Morley Wilkins about that, where we have real international uh, music collaboration. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's early morning. Charge four is to monitor the ongoing use of technology in the production and distribution of Braille music. And our first item um, on that is to present a summary of the way in which member countries are using refreshable Braille display technology and downloadable electronic scores uh, and thereby improving access to, to Braille music internationally. Um, and we were to discuss and report on that, how, how people are using uh, software and transcription practices. So the ICEB music webpage now lists each country and their developments in technology in both Braille music production, distribution and rehearsal practices. And in summary, most of our countries uh, transcribing music use a combination of both manual transcription by direct Braille input into Duxbury Braille the Duxbury Braille Translator and the use of electronic semi-automated uh, translation using perhaps the Goodfield Braille Music Translation software. And students and professionals are often requesting materials in soft copy format for use in rehearsals uh, on Braille displays, as well as obviously hard copy materials. And we're also, uh, the UK, we're particularly excited about the potential involved in the use of MuseScore, um, uh, MuseScore accessibility and support, which offers um, further enhancements uh, for accessing music in the future. Charge five, which is our final charge, is to promote the teaching and learning of Braille music through the investigation of models for the successful promotion of uh, teaching and learning Braille music that could be applied locally or internationally. We were to compile a list of uh, education institutions and each country as a reference uh, with their programs for people to, to search and look up. And we encourage people to keep this list updated um, as more countries become involved and promote attendance by international students where possible. And I guess this is more possible now because of the remoteness of what we're doing um, virtually. 
In 2018, at the midterm assembly, I reported that um, our focus was to create this central location for information sharing across member countries. And I'm really pleased to see that um, our committee members have done that. And we have contributions from a few countries, uh, including Australia, obviously, with our National Braille Music Camp and other camps in the US and New Zealand and um, and some contributions from the UK as well. So I look forward to, to further contributions. So for some time, the uh, Music Committee has worked towards the creation of this uh, webpage. And it's really nice to see that come to fruition this year. So I think I'll leave it there for my report and just provide uh, time for, for discussion. So um, noting that we have the five charges for this term and that we, um, I would love to hear about any further directions that people might have. Um, so maybe I'll just open up the floor and see if anyone would like to, to comment or have a query or, or perhaps have some further thoughts. Thank you. So if anybody has any thoughts about uh, any of uh, Geordie's report, please, uh, if you're a delegate, uh, go ahead and unmute yourself. Uh, that's Alt-A on Windows, Option-A on Mac, Star-9 on the phone, and sorry, Star-6 on the phone, I apologise. And it's the bottom left-hand corner of your app if you're using uh, an iDevice. Um, if you are a delegate and for some reason that doesn't work for you, raise your hand and we will try to assist. Uh, and then following um, the opportunity for delegates, then we would really like to hear from observers. If you have any thoughts about any aspect of Geordie's report, you can raise your hand with uh, option Y on Mac, Alt Y on Windows, star nine on the phone and more button. So the full report, Geordie, obviously is available um, for people to read. Yes, that's, that's correct. That's available in your ICEB uh, papers. One thing I didn't do is uh, tell you who the members of our committee are. So perhaps I thought I'd just quickly run through those. Yeah. They are in my report. So um, so for, um, obviously, I'm from Australia. <laughs> um, our voting member in Canada is Rebecca Bleavitt. Uh, from Ireland, we have Stuart Lawler. From New Zealand, we have Moya Michalakis. Uh, from South Africa, we have Niels Matheser, who's here today, which is great. From the United Kingdom, Roger Furman. And from the US, we have Karen Gerald. Um, obviously, we have at least two observing members from each country as well. And they all, all of our committee are music specialists in some form. So either they are uh, members or chairs of other Braille music committees or task forces in their member country. Uh, they are musicians in their own right. So organists, singers, teachers. So we have a wealth of expertise in both our members and our observers. 
So, so hearing hearing no questions from oh. Uh, delegates. Oh, was that a delegate? Was that a voice? Yes, this is Francis Mary. <clears throat> um, go, ahead, go ahead, Francis. All right, thank you. Um, I'm wondering, Jordi, if you have um, reached out to any of the university programs that train people to become teachers of children who are blind and visually impaired, um, and whether there are um, that, that's my first question because I I hope that future teachers are being trained in braille music and the importance of braille music. And then my second question would be, are there um, particular um, resources listed on the website that you would point a university instructor or professor to in preparing teachers so that they can prepare I mean, so they can teach children about world music. We haven't reached out to university programs specifically, but I'd certainly be interested in um, talking to you offline about which programs you might suggest, because I guess they're different in each country too. Um, and the resources are listed by country. So definitely say with the US, we have, um, you know, teaching Braille music, uh, the introduction to Braille music by Richard Tesh, which is, I know a widely used resource and it's um, highlighted on many braille music discussion lists that I am on. Um, and certainly in Australia, we have a number of resources, including uh, one that I use a lot called Read, Sing and Play, which is a nice compact resource that can be used for children and adults, students of any age, really. Thank you, FM, for your question. Appreciate that. So, any further questions from uh, delegates um, at this Dave, time? Dave, do you know? Please stay uh, in. Dina Dialin Mudli from South Africa. Who's speaking, uh, please? Dina Dialin Mudli from South Africa. Uh, yes, South Africa. Go it's ahead with Dina your from South Africa. Yes, Dina, go ahead with your question. Okay. Um, given, given, given that, you know, there's such limited resources around um, Braille music, should ISEB not look at creating a podcast? or similar such, uh, you know, facility that actually gradually takes someone from, from knowing literally Braille uh, through to learning, you know, music Braille and, and teaching them that. And then also having resources online, which helps um, sighted teachers to be able to actually teach um, blind uh, or Braille music readers. Thank you. It's interesting that you say that. Um, it's something I was planning to bring up um, at this point. I'll, I'll find my notes on that. Um, so there isn't, there is no uh, online music program at, at this juncture, but I, I had an email yesterday from the founder of Dancing Dots, Bill McCann, who feels very strongly that unless we um, develop and deploy uh, some excellent tools for teaching Braille musicians, in the near future, we we run the risk of, of losing this wonderful system within a generation because fewer people, uh, this is internationally, uh, teachers know how to teach it effectively. And so he believes that, you know, at Dancing Dots, uh, they've developed a system that they call Music Touch that allows a student to work independently at his or her, her own pace. And independent study is an option but there is also a definite role for a teacher to guide the student. And he has provided a link, and I can uh, provide this to delegates. We don't have a chat feature, but I can uh, 
I can provide it to our organisers so that it can be circulated, uh, to a brief video that he's made demonstrating the Music Touch interactive multimedia teaching system for blind musicians. And uh, some years ago, Dancing Dots successfully completed this development with uh, funding from the federal government in the US, uh, some small business funding. And they completed about 90% of what they needed to do to actually commercialise the product. But then time and money ran out. And so focus on other activities, you know, became more important to pay the bills. But Bill's goal is to find an interested partner to uh, complete the original courseware and build on a foundation that we've created that they've created and he'd welcome the opportunity to talk to anyone who in in management and respect of of organizations about finding funds to complete this work it's based on Richard Tesh's introduction to braille music he says that it can be modified to interact with other braille music systems and so this sounds it's like a tablet that you overlay a braille piece of music onto um, and so I think there is a real beginning there in, in some potential online uh, braille music teaching tools. James Bowden here from the UK. Thank you Dina from uh, South Africa for your question and apologies I didn't I didn't hear your name the first time you said it but thank you very much for your question. James Bowden from the UK. I'd like to also um, contribute towards Dina's question. Um, we have a, a guy in the UK called Harry Cox. He's a teacher and he is developing or has developed a series of uh, course materials, if you like, for teachers who may not even know what print music is, let alone Braille mm. music. So that's a very interesting resource that's certainly in production or in, in the process of production. Yeah, thanks, James. That is a really interesting point. Uh, I know through my work at the uh, Statewide Vision Resource Centre, we've developed a lot of tactile resources using PF. I know that uh, other agencies in Australia, Vision Australia and, and others, have produced 3D and also UV printing uh, on printed music staff notation. I haven't seen it yet, actually, but I really like to get my hands on it. Uh, so it's great to see that this work is happening internationally and it would be really good to, to collaborate. Thank you very much, James, for your uh, question. We appreciate that. I have another question, if I may. You may. Um, Geordie, um, you mentioned the cost of digitisation of uh, scores which are currently only available in hard copy Braille and the time-consuming way that it can be done um, i appreciate the us has had some success in this but um as far as i am aware not many other countries have had a great deal of success at this at present so my question is given that a lot of braille music certainly in the uk was produced in the 1920s and 1930s in a format which is no longer current what is your thought about digitizing existing scores versus retranscribing new editions? That is a difficult one, isn't it? Because particularly music prior to 19, 
60 or whenever bar over bar music was introduced, which I know was somewhere around there, a lot of our young students wouldn't know how to read a, a Chopin prelude in bar by bar music, which is presented you know, with a left hand oh, gesturing, and that's not very good for our blind people, um, whether the left hand bar is you know, on, the, on the left side of the page, followed immediately by the right hand, followed by a, a braille letter L, and then the same process is repeated to economise on the paper space. But I don't know, quite a few of you would definitely know how to read bar by bar. I know how to read bar by bar. But our young students may not. And so some people would argue that that the relevance of those scores, of those editions, is, is not as uh, not as, as vital because you have um, difficulty referencing uh, particular points in those scores. Uh, and also with new editions and, say, for example, examination boards that have particular editorial markings that are important for our students, even if it's a Bach fugue or something like that, that's a common piece. But I think it is important to preserve our heritage. Um, I'd hate to see some of our precious old scores being thrown away. Um, although, I guess for study purposes, our students do need the same edition as their sighted peers. So that's probably a bit of a tactful answer there. But, yeah. um, do, yeah. do we have any any data about how long it takes to digitize a piece versus retranscribe the same piece? That might be an interesting study to do for easy pieces, moderate pieces, and difficult pieces. I don't know if someone from the US is able to answer that question. We have five minutes, folks, uh, for questions on, on Geordie's report. Um, carry on, Geordie. Yeah, is someone from the US able to uh, perhaps provide that information? I was having a conversation with Judy Dixon regarding this several weeks ago, but I don't know whether we have time. We've got five minutes if one of the US uh, delegates would like to come in on that. Okay, here in non um fm uh do we have any hands raised from observers i'm scanning the list and i don't see any hands okay that's fine um, david can i have a second go do you know moodley south africa absolutely south africa go ahead all right in in terms of digitizing you know given that we have very limited uh, people that can actually transcribe music and so on should we not consider some sort of model around like the Bookshare type model where you have a central repository where uh, digital scores are, you know, are captured, put up there, and then volunteers can then, you know, um, go and proofread that and, and, and make sure that that is perfect before it then gets um, displayed on a website somewhere? I think that would be incredible, particularly with the, the Marrakesh Treaty uh, you know, being implemented in member countries. I would love to see such a resource if that was possible personally. It's something I've wanted for many years. Did George Bell raise his hand then? I, yeah, I was gonna say there are three, four ah. hands now that are raised. Um, CMS14, I don't know who that is. George Bell, uh, Ari and Christiana Christensen. Okay, let's, um, let's take those in order then, FM, uh, if we could. So the first hand. Ah, you just disappeared. There you are. CMS uh, okay. unmute. Uh, all right. 
CMS 14, please state your name. You should be able to speak now. Hi, everybody. This is Bill McCann from Dancing Dots. I, Hello. I, I don't know how I got to be CFM 14, although I've been called worse. Um, so I just want to acknowledge and thank everybody uh, on the committee, Jordy and James, especially for um, bringing up the idea of the music touch system. And just to reiterate my interest in pursuing that. As far as scanning music, I don't have any direct experience, but I'll just say quickly that I have to think that scanning would be much faster than retranscribing, but um, just as a general rule, but if we had a good music XML score, uh, then I would, I would say that that would go much faster and now with our software and others. But anyway, I know time is limited. I wanna get out of the way, but thanks guys and I will mute myself here. Thank you, Bill. Um, given the time, uh, could we go to the next question? Then we'll let Geordie come back on uh, those. Right, that would be block. George Bell, who I have unmuted. George, go ahead. George, we can hear you, I think, if you'd like to go ahead. George, please state your question. I think we can hear you. Yes, George, you're unmuted. I think we can hear you. Please state your question. Oh, oh, it says unmuted. Oh, it's on again. Okay. Um, what has happened to OBR, which was known as optical braille recognition, um, seems to have disappeared completely because it strikes me that paper braille has only got a, a life of so long. And then certainly the originals could be digitized. Does Judy, anybody know what's happened there? Judy okay. Dixon, United States. Uh, okay, just one, one second, uh, Judy. Uh, we'll come to you in a moment. Uh, were there any other um, questions? Because we are almost out of time, and then we'll go to Judy, and then we'll go back to, to Jordy. Were there any other questions, uh, yes. FM? Talo yes. Falava. Uh, Talo Falava and uh, warm Pacific greetings from Samoa. Um, I'm very um, glad to be here, and um, our our Pacific cultures, our Pacific cultures are very oral, and uh, we are very much uh, using music in our traditional um, knowledge. So, I would just like to uh, to further um, comment, uh, just say that um, we would really like to learn more about uh, Braille music, and. Uh, if there are podcasts and uh, things available for us to learn, then we would be really very grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Samoa, for your question. Judy Dixon, United States. Thank you, Dave. The program known as OBR, which was a software package for scanning Braille music, no longer exists. It has it has ceased to function several years ago. There are programs that are currently available the music section at the National Library Service for the Blind and Print Disabled here in the United States is scanning music in a major way. They're producing digital versions of dozens of, of music items each month. It is a relatively tedious and complex task, and the software that they use can only be used by a sighted person because it involves visually comparing two different scans. But um, apart from that, um, they are doing it, and it is and it is working very well. 
okay thank you very much we are out of time Jordi, did you want to just come back on uh, any of those final questions Thank you, Dave. I just wanted to say our friend from Samoa, I'd be very interested to talk to you. I have a friend in Samoa, uh, Faula, who uh, I have been in contact with previously, and I'd really like to talk to you about uh, helping out with Braille music resources and, and teaching. Uh, and thank you, Judy, for your comments for OBR and digitisation. Excellent. Thank you very much. And that concludes the paper and discussion from the Braille Music Committee. Thank you very much for all your uh, questions. Uh, we really appreciate those very much indeed. We'll just give uh, Geordie a moment uh, to gather herself because now you've got 50 minutes uh, on the uh, music papers uh, discussion and related questions. And that too will be chaired by Geordie. Uh, how if you're not speaking at this time we would invite you to remain uh, muted uh, if you could please um and i will just remind you so we've got somebody typing here your screen reader so everybody could just make sure they're muted uh fm if you could uh assist with that thank you uh so that's right alt a on windows it's option a on the mac and it is well you know where the mute buttons are now folks that sounds like uh could be windows to me so uh geordie how are, are you are you ready geordie so in in my ear i've also got a, a straight oh Okay, Geordie, uh, we're gonna we're ready for you to uh, chair your session on the Braille music uh, papers that have been uh, received and uh, the associated discussion. Thank you, Dave. Figured out that mute button. Um, I've just rental. been. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <clears throat> I've just been um, hearing in my ear uh, some chat from our Australian delegates and observers which is fantastic and uh, the best thing as musicians blind musicians we can do is to collaborate and to join together uh, and we have a national braille music camp that has has been going for you know 30 years that uh, where we've shared uh, such information about about music but today we are going to hear from four presenters um, and I've asked each presenter to catch you up on the papers that you will have heard summaries of on, on either YouTube or perhaps read the entire documents uh, in your packages, but just for two to three minutes, which I know is really, really short, but just to give you a reminder and some dot points. Um, so the papers are um, Braille Music in the Digital Age by Roger Furman and Claire Galens. I will talk to you about innovation in Braille music translation practices and uh, or transcription uh, processes. We will hear about um, a challenges facing developing countries in the production and teaching of Braille music by Mesim Katalimia. I, uh, although Mesim can't be with us, I will summarize his paper and I've asked him several questions that he's responded to in writing. So I will present those for 10 minutes. And lastly, we will hear from Dr. Sarah Morley Wilkins about securing the future of Braille music production, and that's the DAISY Music Braille project. So firstly, uh, to uh, Roger Furman, uh, Braille Music in the Digital Age, and Claire Galen's his co-author, 
Uh, Roger Thurman is the UCAF Vice Chair and the Vice Chair of the UCAF Music Subcommittee. Um, he is he holds many positions on music committees and also holds, uh, has his own transcription business. Uh, Claire Galens is a member of the of UCAF and chair of the UCAF Music Subject Area, uh, and a former transcriber and proofreader. So, Roger, can I and Claire, can I ask you to summarise your paper briefly, please? That'd be great. Uh, Jordi, hello and welcome Hi. from me, Roger. I'm, I'm sure Claire is on the call, and if questions come up, um, she will be able to assist with answering them. I am here, indeed. Wonderful. Great to hear you. So, um, j just from a point of record, and I, please forgive me for saying this because I'm a, a rather reticent to, but since uh, right, since writing the paper, I have um, become chairman of UCAF now uh, from June. So um, that's a great honour for me. And uh, that's what happens in intervening time sometime. So cracking on with the summary. In summary, the paper is in five sections, the first of which is historical uh, perspectives on Braille music, uh, giving some background information. Uh, section two deals with some factors which restrict or improve digital Braille music access, which are hard copy and digital material, cost of Braille displays, online availability of scores, as good quality music XML files, already existing Braille music files throughout the world, easy conversion between character sets. The next section focuses on music on Braille displays, advantages and problems. One can easily switch between writing and playing. It is convenient if correcting work, the find command is very useful. You don't lose your place. The Braille display can show small segments of the music in a comprehensible way. The ability to find your place quickly. Editing a file has clear advantages. Carrying a Braille display which could contain an entire Braille music library. Portability of a Braille display which requires power could be an issue. Some users may prefer hard copy. Precise searching could be a difficulty if you are wishing to see if a score has similar material. It's not easy using hard copy either for that purpose. Section four covers fostering and teaching of learning Braille music in the digital age. This, of course, is absolutely crucial for very obvious reasons. And finally, section five is the future artificial intelligence. Time will tell and time now to hand back to Geordie. Thank you, Roger. That is a fantastic summary. I'm very impressed. Excuse me, Geordie. <clears throat> this is Frances Mary. May I? Uh, I just wanted Certainly. to let you know that um, our um, 
our um, presenter, uh, Mr. Mesem Katamina from Iran is uh, on the uh, call. I mean, he, I'm sorry, he is here in the list. I can make him a co-host if you would like me to. Thank you. That is that is amazing. That is fantastic because we didn't think we'd have Mason here. So um, I will. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Um, do we have any questions for Roger and Claire regarding music in the digital age? I personally have used Braille displays for music rehearsals and carry around the majority of my music library as a, as a soprano. One thing I find difficult when using um, a braille display is keeping up with the words and lyrics. Obviously in a liturgi liturgical context, it's easier because the mass setting is quite familiar with the text that I'm using, but um, it can be a tricky thing to follow two parallel lines at once, can't it? So obviously I prefer hard copy in those contexts. Um, so do we have any further questions for Roger and Claire about their, their paper? Hi, it's Sarah Morley Wilkins from the UK. Hi, Sarah. Hi, um, Roger, we, when we came to some demos to look at the um, newest refreshable braille displays, we heard some lovely reports from students who were learning their scores with the, um, the displays. Has, have, has there been any movement on how we should export music braille so that it can be effectively read, you know, nicely formatted and reflow, depending on whether it's a single line or multiple lines. I don't know where, where things are with that now. I mean, Sarah, I think to some degree, it's going to depend on, obviously, as you rightly say, the kind of braille display that it is, the, the type of music it is. Um, I myself have, have certainly done experiments with, for instance, how to combine words and music on a um, using a single line display, mm. um, and it's possible. It is certainly possible, but it's it's going to need a lot of intervention to make it, um, you know, happen in a in a different way because it's obviously it's a completely different layout to how you would use it in hard copy. But I, uh, I mean, a few years ago, I remember actually doing a, uh, you know, doing a demonstration actually with, um, you know, to, to showing that it, um, showing that the, that this is perfectly possible to do, and obviously, if we get to the stage of where we have more multi-line uh, braille displays, either as uh, as portable devices or as desktop devices, depending depending how one one is going to use them, then I think um, the formatting um, decisions would need to be made and included in any say translation software to you know to do those tasks. And I note that there was a section, Roger, in your paper regarding um, how computers can automate this process with sort of an artificial intelligence of, uh, you know, mm. having displays move automatically, uh, which obviously with music is quite challenging because you don't stay for the same length of time on a given line. Yes, I mean, obviously, I mean, there are... Um, I forget which, and those who are far more familiar with braille displays will know far better than me, but I think there are somewhere 
even at the moment where if you get to the end of the line, it will sense that you're there and mm. move on to the next. But with, I mean, obviously the whole range of possibilities with something as broad as artificial intelligence, obviously you, you can get something um, extremely specialised, as I think I illustrated in my presentation, pre-recorded yes. one. And obviously there are... Um, there are uses all all around us, but uh, uh, and obviously you get very specific um, uses of it. Whether it's robots working in a you know a packing factory to do particular tasks, or whether you're going to get into a deep learning process by which something could you know learn by do by doing things by trying to simulate the um, the human brain. You can get into artificial neural networks. You can get into all kinds of things and certainly um i just think that as with all this uh, technology around and larger companies uh, work, you know working on aspects of it th that for what we need it's just got to be possible to do it and to incorporate some of that sometime whether the whether it will be whether it will be incorporated into already existing music notation programs in time which would then you know give a lever for um, linking into perhaps not only braille music but um, accessible music of different types then i think you know that could certainly be something for the future thank you that was a great summary um and yeah i do hope that um Goody. technology yes dina mudley south africa mm-hmm Okay, uh, just a suggestion. Maybe you know what, in in terms of the braille displays and and uh, you know talking about battery power and so on, I think one one thing we could actually do is is convince uh, manufacturers to actually put in solar uh, solar charges onto the devices. So that would actually assist people, especially in developing countries, where um, you know electricity is a problem for. A lot of people mm. in developing countries. Mm -hmm. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? We might move now to the next paper, uh, which is my own on braille music transcription and innovative innovation in music translation processes and transcription practices to produce more music. Um, I'm a transcriber with Vision Australia, so um, I will uh, outline a, a manual transcription process that um sorry i'm distracted by my, my screen reader um so i'll outline the manual transcription process which uh, demonstrates an order of signs uh, so that blind people can work with sighted uh, readers to transcribe um and i'll just i'll discuss the importance of uh, the quality checking and proofreading process with the transcription process and working um, electronically and um, explore the semi-automated uh, transcription processes used by Vision Australia. We are going to talk quite a lot today about uh, semi-automated processes when we move to Sarah, Dr. Sarah Morley Wilkins's presentation, but I'd just quickly like to summarise the manual transcription language that I use, and I'm really interested today in finding out whether other blind people transcribe music around the world and, um, and how they go about doing that. 
So I and um, other blind transcribers work at Vision Australia uh, and around Australia with music proficient sighted volunteers um, and often sometimes paid readers too uh, and also just friends at university. And so you often need to have a score quickly, too fast for um, a transcriber to do it often. You know, it might be sort of a, a day later or something like that. So you might sit down for a couple of hours over a cup of tea with a friend and have it and transcribe it. So for a piano piece, for example, we would braille, we would shorthand the um, note values. So for example, crotch instead of crotchet. For quavers, we don't say the note value. For minims, we might say min. For semi-breves or semi-quavers or whole notes in America, we might say sem. Um, we, instead of saying fourth octave C semi-breve, which is quite a number of syllables, we might say fourth C sem, and it, it just contracts it. If you were to braille, um, you know, a C major chord, if I do the intervals up just for uh, ease of um, talking about it and hearing it, we might say something like fourth C sem three or C sem one, that's the first finger or the thumb, fourth C sem one with its third three and its fifth five, if that makes sense to Braille music people. Um, we abbreviate all the articulation signs. So instead of saying staccato, we might say stack. Instead of saying appoggiatura, you might just say appodge. Um, for vocal music, when brailing in a language other than English, we spell out the words for our transcribers. So, for example, if it's um, the German lead, du bist die we might say, uh, and we tap instead of a space. So we might say something like D-U-B-I-S-T-D-I-E-R-U-H, comma. Um, and so that way, if the transcriber is unfamiliar with the language being transcribed, you can quickly do that. So I'm curious as to how blind transcribers still transcribe today. Um, the uh, the Emanuensis doesn't have to know anything about Braille music. In fact, none of my readers do. I have to know a bit about print music and I can instruct my reader to read as they see you know, from top down. So I might open that up uh, for questions at this point and see if anyone else is doing this around the world. James Bowden from the UK. James? So I have done some music transcription, different way to what you do. Um, we start with a music XML file and we pump it through a program such as Goodfeel. And then we know the kind of things that Goodfeel has absolutely no trouble with whatsoever, like basic notes. And we also know the kind of things it may have difficulty with, for example, complicated expression marks interval signs plus accents and so on and so forth. And then we just go through those particular bars and say, okay, can you look at bar 26? What does it say there? And I'll say, ah, oh, it just says question mark. Oh, well, that was supposed to be P Dolce. Okay, let's <laughs> fix that then. Um, okay, what about bar 46? There's something funny going on in the slurring in the print there. Let's have a look at that. And so we just look at those mm. points of interest, if you like. Yep. 
interesting. Thank you. This is Lena Coleman from New Zealand. Hi, Lena. Hi there, Geordie um, and everyone. Um, I just want to say I'm impressed. <laughs> I am a uh, proofreader and one of the things I do is, is uh, proofread brown music and um, I, I love doing it. I often leave the session um, with a slight headache because it's very intense. Yes, um, yes. I do really enjoy it, but we don't, um, we do something similar, um, but often I have to know my music well enough to move my fingers around it because um, sometimes the copy holders aren't aware of exactly what order the signs go in. Um, yes. But I was trying to follow along with your presentation when you did it on YouTube and I, I got lost. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very impressed. Um, I'll Thank you. See if we can work on that a bit. I meant to say too that there is a book that's link, linked from the ICEB website, music webpage, called Dictating Braille Music. It's by a lady called Roma Dix, who was one of the instigators of our, instigators of our National Braille Music Camp, and I know that Lena knows Roma. Um, and it's a PDF file, and it's aimed at, if you give it to a sighted friend, they can, and there's musical examples contained in it, they should be able to learn how to dictate music straight away. Um, it's also text selectable, so you can read it with your favourite screen reader or put it on your Braille display, although you won't have access to the music examples. You'll be able to work them out from the, uh, the dictation language that's incorporated in that. James Bowden here from I the just UK might... again. Sorry. Oops, sorry. I just might look up oh. that resource. Thank you, Geordie. Pleasure. Yeah, pleasure. Sorry, James. Yeah, I should have said as well that the, the other reason we go through the XML route sometimes is that you can then also produce audio renditions, large print or modified stave notation renditions, as well as the Braille music. So you can get what they call a multimedia package of the mm. same piece. Sounds like a lot of flexibility there, which is really good. Um, we find that when using semi-automated transcription processes at Vision Australia, the proofreading stage is really important. And so it's important that you have you know, a proofreader, as you say, to check those things out. If it, if the piano, if the score has omitted fingering or the pedaling's in the wrong place or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Donald, this is Patrick from Ireland. Hi, Donald. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, this is fascinating because there's remarkable similarities to how you're dictating music to how um, Abraham Nemeth actually used to dictate mathematics. Oh, right. That's interesting. In the sense that, that he, he came up with um, a verbalization of, of mathematics, which he could use, actually read over the phone to people. Um, yeah. So that sighted people could actually take down his, 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 his mathematics. And again, the abbreviations that you're using are completely unambiguous from, from what I could actually hear. Um, and Nemeth did exactly the same thing with mathematics. So there's a, there's a huge similarity there. It's fascinating. Oh, that's really interesting. I, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Thanks for, for letting me know. That's, that is very interesting. Good to see that, that some of this stuff does happen internationally as well. And it'd be good to um, see if, if this language can help a university student somewhere or a professional or whatever. That'd be great. Perhaps we'll move on now to our next paper. I'll just uh, find my notes 
here. Uh, is Mason back in the Zoom or not? I, I suspect he might have just left, sadly. Yes, he was. He has been. This is uh, Francis Mary moderating today. He has. Yes. He had left and now he it came back on and now he has gone again. So I'm afraid that he's not on at the moment. So I'll never mind. I will we'll begin to summarize his paper then briefly and cover the questions that that I have asked him and maybe he'll pop in again. So Mason's paper is facing the challenges of developing countries in the production and teaching of Braille music and it's a case study from Iran. Mason is a lecturer in, in Persian and Arabic um, at the University of Tehran and he's published two books on music theory, about piano lessons, and in 2009 he established a music school, which is a very successful, uh, very successful school. Um, okay. So Mason discusses in his presentation the difficulties blind students in countries from uh, low-income economies like Iran um, face in accessing braille technology supplies as well as other access issues to braille music. Um, he particularly speaks of a lack of a coherent uh, training in music science in accordance with the latest international standard signs, which includes various instruments, a lack of codified, a comprehensive and accessible collection of uh, net braille training in Iran, a lack of familiarity of the private sector with music of, a, of the blind, uh, a lack of profitability of producing braille music resources, a lack of coherent and accessible archives of braille music resources, and a lack of clear focus on music for the blind um, in written sources and a need to acquaint the blind interested in learning music with a graphic form of uh, signs of visual notes to better understand the concepts of music. Um, sorry, just trying to find. And he hopes that um, that ICEB can help create appropriate mechanisms to transfer technology and other uh, people's experiences to Iran so that the process is not affected by political tensions, as there is a lot of those. And so, for example, removing economic, economic sanctions in the area that uh, can, be, can facilitate blind people's access to new technology and decrease the difficulties along that path. The questions that I asked Mason were that um, he told us in his presentation that there was only one organisation that currently has access to good feel and I wanted him to explain the transcription process that blind musicians are currently using to convert uh, print music to Braille. And he says that um, whereas there is no 
not any music centre or organisation that, that converts music. Some professional musicians use... Um, sorry, translate musics themselves. They use the Duxbury Braille translator to convert them into Braille, print into Braille, but unfortunately um, they don't have a lot of access to printed material. Additionally, the vision-impaired individuals whose memory is, is you know, learning capacity is great, um, they have a chance to use uh, music software as well as um, but but they often live far uh, quite away from the um, the music center and so those people have less access I asked um, I asked Mason what examples of signs for example the quarter tone that he suggests could be added to the Braille Music Code um, for specific Eastern music um, and the signs that he proposes for Iran instruments. And Mason says that, for instance, uh, composing international standard uh, music notation, he says that dot four five six and then one four six are used for the koron which makes the pitch lower by a quarter tone in reality it's a half flat and and then being suggested that instead of dot four and then in the next cell dot one four six could be used for sorry which makes the pitch higher by a quarter tone or half sharp. Um, therefore, dots four and then dot one, four, six in the following cell are used like that's appropriate because it doesn't have another cell assignment. And they've created uh, about 40 signs that are being used, particularly in Iranian musical instruments, such as the drum, the dulcimer, uh, which which require the aid of uh, an international Braille Music Committee to accept them as a global a global record. Um, I also asked Mason how he suggests that ICEB and member countries begin supporting him and other musicians in Iran to obtain resources and learn Braille music. And I said, are English resources helpful? And he says that um, he thinks that those countries who are uh, members of ICEB are able to uh, present new strategies and apply music training in support of Iranian music for the visual impaired and start providing services, uh, including... BRF files, hard copy files, braille print machines, and even blank paper. Um, and also just to provide their own experiences as they face this inefficiency of um, the public sector and, and sort of public policies uh, domestically. And so, yeah, hopefully internationally we can help him in this way. 
Um, sorry, that's a bit, I'm just trying to interpret um, the, the paragraph here. So does anyone have any questions or any comments? I probably can't really answer questions, sadly, but I'm hoping to help Mason and Iran. Geordie, it's, Geordie, it's Roger, Roger here, um, Roger. if I may. Just just to say that, um, I mean, clearly it would be interesting to know what, you know, more of the signs that have mm. been, in, uh, you know, devised for that type of music. But on the, yeah. on obviously on the quarter tone sharp, quarter tone flat, those two signs are actually in the new international manual, but they may have different context for the yes. signs that have been suggested within that you know the non-western the, the music of that country so um it, as i say it would be interesting to, to look at those and uh, see roger you were uh, yes. raising exactly the same point as i was about to do as uh, james bowden from the uk i've just checked the banner manual and we've got dot four sh and dot four gh correct for a quarter tone sharp okay. and a quarter tone flat correct and we've also got four five six sh and four five six um, at gh for three quarters sharp right. and three quarters yep. flat okay so yeah i wonder whether I, I, it's coincidental that he's provided that same it's not the same system or it's not, it's not, not the no, same no okay so i think i think clearly what we what what would need to be looked at is uh is all those signs and and you know yeah. and it, I, you know for years and years and years it's there's been talk about i mean right back in um mm. the 1950s about doing non-western uh providing Yes. signs for non-western music hasn't happened and clearly it does need to happen so but i think it doesn't sound a, you know to be a million miles away to be able to add um those signs and unify the ones that already exist alongside you know into that into that setting so that we're not necessarily unless there's a very very good reason and i'm not ruling it in or out i'm just saying that there may be a need for both of those signs but there might not be so one could integrate mm. integrate where one can integrate and add add those signs and there'll obviously doubtless be um, plenty of others that need looking at for um, non-western music so yeah Geordie, instrument we've, got specific. Ten, we've got 10 minutes Geordie and I'm away thank you paper to come to yes thank you well let's then um thank Mason very much for for that paper and hopefully we can help him in the future with resources and uh, coding, I will be in touch with him. We'll move to our final paper now. Just to let you know, um, there was a question uh, from, I just, uh, yeah, so maybe we'll go to that at the end of this time after Sarah. That'll be great, thank you. Okay. So uh, Dr. Sarah Molly Wilkins, who is gonna present her paper briefly on securing the future of music braille production, the Daisy Music Braille Project, and she is the project lead. So thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Geordie. And it's so nice to see you all and be able to talk to people about this stuff, uh, not in person, but this is just a good second best. Thank you so much, everybody, for organising it. Um, so Geordie's mentioned before that the DAISY Music Braille Project is concentrating on trying to secure the future of music braille production and use at a time when specialist transcription and teaching expertise is declining in many countries and the cost and timeliness of production is an issue for agencies and end users. Um, our international surveys enabled us to gather and prioritise sector requirements for two types of tools. One needed mainly by transcribers to convert music XML files or scanned paper scores into music braille. 
and the other with more interactive features for end users to create, explore, convert and output music in accessible ways, including Braille. So the first tool we're supporting over a two-year development period is Make Braille from DZB Leeson, and that's the German Centre for Accessible Reading. And they built that for their own transcription purposes. Um, and with funding secured from within the sector itself, the team has been steadily improving that existing tool for the past nine months to deliver our requirements for a professional tool. And we're in the middle of a trial with 21 testers from six agencies worldwide to explore some of the new functionality we've added, especially the recently implemented bar over bar formatting. Funded development of the interactive user tool hasn't started yet. Um, we've received several applications from developers for funding to meet our requirements for that tool. And the steering group decision of which tool to fund will be announced by the end of October, ready for work, hopefully to start in January 21 again for a two year period. And since all these tools rely on good input files, um, we're also helping to improve the standards of the mainstream music file format, Music XML, and influence its successor format, MNX, so that the underlying tag structure is accurate and comprehensive enough for good conversion into Braille. And we're also helping publishers and engravers who create the print scores in the first place to write and save their masters using good quality markup. Again, so that their files, the original files contain sufficient tags for good conversion into Braille. Now our surveys also identified there was a need for concerted efforts in other areas to recruit, train and keep specialist transcription staff and music Braille teachers. And we've heard some about that already. Um, also, the idea that we might be able to harmonise or rationalise the number of options for codes and formatting required as much as possible. Um, to maximise the Music Braille resources, which agencies currently hold, and we've heard about the digitisation projects and services like Bookshare and I, um, others, ABC. Uh, the need to update transcription guidance and to share teaching and learning resources. So I was really pleased to see some of that coming up in the ICB documents. Um, and also with the rise of smaller braille displays, it will be important to find out how music braille can be best displayed on those short lines or over multiple lines so that the conversion tools can build that in and we can deliver really effective files straight to the user. Um, Roger's already talked a bit about the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning, and that could really help improve scanning the correction and conversions um, by learning from different uh, scores that have gone before. Um, so I'm very happy to take any questions and if you'd like to stay in touch with the project do let me know because we've got a nice mailing list where we can we share news um, at least once a quarter if not every so often so yeah stay in touch and if you've got any questions do ask we have five minutes for questions Stuart Lawler from um, uh, Ireland hi Stuart Hi, Sarah. Uh, really interesting uh, paper and really great stuff that you're doing. I know the um, the area for the user uh, exploration hasn't started yet, and you're hoping to start that in January. But one thing I suppose I've seen a lot as somebody who supports a lot of children in schools is the need for some system that will allow people to create Braille music using um, six-key um, either on computer or on Braille um, note-takers. I know there was some work done on this in the past, in the very, in the very long past, I think. But is that something that you're looking at or is, has that come on your radar? Because I think it would be hugely, uh, hugely useful for kids. 
Oh, you'll be really pleased to know it was mentioned by several people in our requirement surveys. So Good. it is it is in the requirements and and several of the developers have said they would like to be able to implement that. Excellent. Thank you very much. Do we have further questions for Sarah? There are two observers to wish to have their hands up. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, Bill McCann is URCMS. Oh yeah, <laughs> so Bill, Bill, I can see Bill and Rhea. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Yeah, this is this is the FM 14 checking in. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to just uh, relate that last year uh, I was privileged to visit Morocco and actually play my trumpet in a real show. It was a festival for blind musicians sponsored uh, by the Louis Braille organization there in Morocco. And my friend uh, Abdel was, was the guy who invited me. But anyway, out of that experience, I talked to a lot of blind musicians from that part of the world. And they did ask me, could Goodfield do quarter tones, uh, sharps and flats. And I'm happy to report that we've been working on it. We haven't released it yet, but the Lime notation software that comes with Goodfeel has now uh, been uh, configured to play back quarter tones and allow you to put quarter tones in. I think in some cases you have to have specialized hardware to make it work. But anyway, that's, that's definitely in our pipeline and I'm happy to hear that uh, that's definitely been a need expressed by uh, our uh, our representative from Iran. Um, for Iran, uh, we've had inquiries about Goodfield. I'm told I'm not allowed to sell it. I would love to talk to whatever diplomats or whatever we need to do to get people to understand that this is really something mm. we should be doing. But um, Good. some of that's out of my hands. But I want you guys to know I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm not indifferent to your needs. So uh, anyway, uh, thank I'll you. wait here. Thank you. And there's a question from uh, Ria Andriani. Hi, Ria. Unmute you. There you go. Hi, Ria. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much. And it's lovely to hear your voice, Sarah. <laughs> you um, too. <laughs> yeah. So I just wanted to make an observation in relation to the Make Braille and also um, for the ICB, ICEB work in general, yeah. in that um, in order to get uh, good source files, um, we do need to work with the sighted communities um, in terms of um, improving yeah, um, their uh, tags as you've yeah. already um, started working with publishers and engravers but I think the missing link is also like their education uh, departments um, at universities and also high schools because that's when uh, you know that's when they learn how to use um, all the notation software such as Sibelius, uh, Finale, Capella and so on and so forth. Mm. Um, so if they can get that right at the beginning then um, I think we should see much more improved uh, XML files coming around in a few years, hopefully. We have one minute, Sarah. 
Good point. And I think that that reflects the work we've previously done with teaching people to use good XML and good PDF structure, good Word, MS Word structure. So thank you. Yes, we'll see what we can do. The engraving guidelines we've trialled now with Sibelius engravers, professionals, and we've refined those. Uh, and I think we could we could indeed try that with the university now. That's a good idea. Thank you. Well, thank you very much to all our presenters today. I am sorry Mason couldn't be with us, but yeah, thank you to, to Roger Furman and Claire Galens and to Sarah and to Mason Kathaminia. Um, really interesting discussions that we will take forward from this session. I'm personally really interested to look at the guidelines too because I have some conductors that I work with that produce uh, music XML files for me. So, yeah, I would, I would love to, to see those. And... Um, Great to see these innovations in transcription practices and Braille music sharing. So thank you very much, everyone. I'm very excited about where we're at and where we're heading with Braille music today. Geordie, thank you very much indeed. A really great um, selection of questions and, and some uh, fascinating papers there. And uh, obviously a lot of work uh, going on uh, with the future of uh, Braille music. And so, uh, so watch this space. And if anybody, uh, I can't believe there is anybody, but if there is anybody who hasn't um, had the... Uh, uh, the papers or read the papers at this point or you're, you're wondering where you get the papers if you visit the conference uh, web page uh, there are links there uh, you can listen to the papers uh, either on a podcast uh, there are videos available on YouTube and of course you can download uh, the documents for your perusal thanks very much to all our braille music export experts we really appreciate that um, we're coming up for a five minute break um, after which we'll be hearing from our constitution and bylaws committee we'll also be hearing the treasurer's report and also the report on publicity so we do hope uh, you'll come back in five minutes take a leg stretch make a cup of tea do what you got to do run the dog and uh, we'll be with you in five minutes and uh, if you're sticking around or if you're in earshot of your um, device uh, then during the break uh, you should hear here, um, a postcard from somewhere in the UK. You're listening to live coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille. Uh, I think I can hear myself. I'm just checking that I can hear myself via Team Talk. Yes, I can via Team Talk and not via Zoom. That's fine. There's, there's this horrible feeling when I thought, oh, I've accidentally left myself unmuted on Zoom. But there we go. So it's uh, 21.28 in the UK. This break will last five minutes. If you want to listen to the postcard, you can catch the postcard uh, on the podcast and we'll also play it at the end of the stream. Somebody asked why we're not playing them on the stream. Um because of the way they're screen shared, the quality is actually uh, not particularly great. So uh, we can put them in much higher quality on the podcast and that's how we're going to do it. And it also gives us time to catch up with our guest for the evening, Sally Clay. Uh, so Sally, that was really uh, interesting, uh, I think, anyway. Uh, do you have any particular thoughts on, on anything at a fairly high level about what went on? Well, wow. I mean, there was just so much innovation there, wasn't there? I mean, it was just unbelievable. Um, I didn't know half of these things that were going on. Um, I actually found, you know, having thought that I only found two aspects of it fascinating by looking at the reports, it's all brilliant. 
And um, I'm glad to see there's so much cohesion uh, nationally and internationally, you know, and, and, and it does really bode well for the future generations of young kids doing it, you know, kids and teachers. Um, it was interesting, actually, because I, I did think to myself, there wasn't really much um, mentioning of blind teachers uh, you know, for Braille musicians. And, um, and you know, there was a, a lady that was talking about, I, th- I think it was Frances Mary, and, and I think she was talking about, you know, um, the society teachers and, and their role in in the US that she'd met, sort of mentioned. But, but um, we definitely, um, you know, my view has always been to, to try and promote as much as possible, you know, the, the users of Braille music to go into the schools, to be into the, to be liaising with institutions, all that kind of stuff. So I'm surprised they didn't kind of touch on that, but, um, yeah, no, it was really, was really, really, um, informative. And, uh, Geordie was, I actually really liked her, um, her paper, you know, on the, the transcription, because I thought actually it makes so much sense and, and, and it, sh- and it could be something universal. So, um, I think that the kind of universalization of it all was the key thing that I'm going to try and take away from it for myself. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. I, I don't know. I, I certainly didn't have any braille music mentors you know when i grew up uh i i feel like actually i was taught that braille music was a bad idea um you know when i was doing gcses and things they tried to convince me not to read braille music and at the time i sort of thought well you know maybe they've got a point but now i'm starting to think actually it was a massive disservice that was done well i mean it's just ridiculous really when you think about it because if you're sighted you know everyone has to learn to read music whether you they think you're going to be the next liberace or not you know i mean ultimately you do need to learn to read music and it's it's part of a, um your curriculum and and why that should be denied to blind people because of um you know poor resource management or ignorance uh, lack of expertise you know it is very difficult and i can see why Pete, that hasn't been done, but to kind of use that smoke screen, you know, of oh, it's a bad idea, um, as opposed to just being honest with the person, and say, look, we may, may not have the resources to teach you. However, these are the people you can um, find to help you access this format. You know. Surely, absolutely. Um, just before we leave you and go on to the constitution and the bylaws and other things, um, there was a mention in Geordie's report in the music uh, committee report about Richard Tesh's book. Um, an introduction to braille music and I've kind of heard about this but never actually read it um is there any chance you might have read that book or is that just a myth in your uh, part of the world as well no I haven't read it I've I mean I've read that they talked about other books you know Betty Crollick and certain other manuals and stuff and I've read all of those but I haven't read the Richard Tish one no so um, sadly, sad to say that that may not be reflective of the rest of the Braille music reading community or using community, but I certainly haven't come across it and read it. No. Well, it's one minute to go, according to Zoom. Uh, so thank you very much to Sally Clay for being part of our coverage. Um, my name is Matthew Horsepool. It's 21.32. And coming up, as we say, is the Constitution and Bylaws Report, the Treasurer's Report and the code maintenance committee report um we're just going to pass you back to zoom so uh naveni Nechichuni has a very dodgy internet connection so i think we're going to get jen golden to present the uh constitution and bylaws report okay perhaps we're not going to get that just yet um <laughs> i think it was um 
Uh, I don't think I said, did I say code maintenance report? Sorry, I meant the constitution and bylaws report. Um, and I think okay. here we are now just about to get started with that report. A very warm welcome back to the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille, hosted by the UK Association for Accessible Formats. Today is day two of five and our theme has been Braille music. If you've missed any of the, uh, the content for any reason, uh, then there will be a podcast available. Uh, from our website. So if you go to the convention uh, website page, which is uh, ucaf.org slash ICEB 2020, uh, there are links there, uh, not only to the live stream, uh, but also to the podcast as well. Or you can also search for ICEB General Assembly in your podcast uh, client of choice. Uh, don't forget, of course, uh, we remind you to uh, remain muted. And if you need to unmute, then it's Alt-A on Windows, Option-A on Mac, and Star Star 6 if you're dialing in on the phone, and bottom left-hand corner in the iOS app. So we now come to our Constitution and Bylaws report and discussion. And so I call on Enchevi uh, to take the mic. Enchevini, are you with us? Can you hear me? I can. You have 30 minutes. Yes, thank you. For the, yeah, no, that's fine. Uh, as I was saying before the meeting, I would ask uh, Jen Golden to assist me with the presentation. My internet is not stable at all, and I doubt if I'll ever be able to make it halfway through. So if Jen can continue. Sure. Thanks, Chavini. Um, Dave, would you like me to just proceed? Uh, I'm happy. With, uh, you guys uh, can agree amongst yourselves how you would like to do this. All right. Well, it sounds like Chavini would like me to do this. So I um, I will start. And Chavini, if you decide that if you want to jump in, uh, feel free. Um, so I... Um, I did serve on the, by the ICEB bylaws committee, so hopefully this will stand me in good stead as we go through this report. I want to be conscious of the time, so um, there are a few issues that um, between the constitution and bylaws um, that we want to highlight. So I believe what would make the most sense, uh, just so that we don't have discussion kind of going all over the place, is that um, if I go through the items one by one and just take, you know, a minute or two for discussion after each one, uh, that's what I'll do unless someone tells me otherwise that that doesn't make sense. Uh, some of these are pretty straightforward. I think most of them are should be pretty straightforward. So I'll just carry on. Starting with vacancies. So this is the first point. It is proposed that the following additions are made in the Constitution. Number one, the executive committee shall have powers to fill vacancies that occur during the term. The, um, with the exception of the, sorry, this is point number two, with the exception of the president, any filling of vacancies shall take uh, cognizance of the represent, shall take into account the representativity of member countries. So, just when vacancies are being filled, that is, you know, obviously that each country is represented. Um, so comments on that. Currently, the Constitution does not have a provision 
dealing with vacancies that might occur during the term. These The two provisions must be added, those being the two provisions that I just read, into the Constitution as paragraphs E and F of sub-article 6.2 term of office. And for the sake of uh, completeness, we it was proposed that we would update that subheading term of office uh, so that it would, sorry, so that it would read term of office and filling of vacancies uh, in order to include the proposed insertions. Uh, that's point one. Does anybody have comments? Do any of the delegates have comments or questions on that? I guess more questions more so than comments maybe. Okay, hearing none, I'm going to continue. Uh, the next point is uh, finances and the background on this, actually it's probably not a bad thing that the treasurer's report follows this because some of this goes together. Uh, at the executive meeting, um, it was it was suggested that treasurers from other uh, BANA member, BANA, sorry, the, it'll make sense why I said that, uh, in the treasurer's report, um, members, treasurer from other ICEB member countries should participate in the reviewing of financial statements, um, of ICEB financial statements. And I was going to talk about this in the treasurer's report, but basically in Canada, the cost of um, a fine financial review, an audit, or even sort of the lowest level, which is a notice to reader, it's it's extremely expensive. And in the, my treasurer's report, I've kind of gone through this whole, uh, I, 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 include several paragraphs about all of the accountants I spoke to to try to get somebody who would be willing to do it um, at sort of a, a reduced rate. And because the, the standards for reviews and audits have been um, made even more rigorous in Canada in the last few years, every single accountant of the, I want to say at least a dozen that I spoke to said, your income is under 5,000 US dollars a year. Why are you doing this? And I said, well, it's, it's, you know, it's about accountability and it's in our constitution. And they all said the same thing, change your constitution, find some other way of being accountable and having, having somebody who's not you, someone that your organization trusts to um, review the document. So this is where this came from. The executive had, uh, we had a discussion about it and it was proposed that the treasurer of an, another ICEB uh, member organization would, uh, um, could conduct the review. So the constitution needed to be adjusted as follows. So um, instead of an official review by an accountant, we require a treasurer from another Braille authority to review the finances. Um, so, uh, I guess this is sort of re it's a replacement of sub article 8.3.1 uh, is made as follows and this is what it would say so proposed wording. Um, three that by the determination by the executive committee in consultation with the finance committee financial statements shall be reviewed by a treasurer from a member country. Um, and I don't know if it should say member countries Braille authority. In view of this, such determination must be done with the uh, understanding that the reviewing treasurer must not be from the same country as the ICEB treasurer. So we wouldn't have the Canadian, we wouldn't have the treasurer of Braille Literacy Canada do this. The secretary shall inform the member country of the decision of the executive inviting such member country to review financial statements. So, um, 
here is what the, the Constitution currently says, uh, 8.3.1, the ICEB accounts must be reviewed each year by a certified accountant. The executive uh, committee may call for an audit with a view to ensuring the financial integrity of ICEB. Uh, one of the other issues that I noted in the Treasurer's report is that uh, we are not registered as a charity in any of our member countries, which means that there are no government, um, i.e. taxation requirements on us uh, conducting financial official financial reviews. Um, what is currently captured in the bylaws, just because this would need to be factored as well, review the financial statements prior to their presentation to the General Assembly. Um, so the review by the treasurer would be done before the General Assembly as well. So does anybody have any uh, questions or comments about item number two that I just went through? And I need to keep an eye on the time. Okay, item number three, public relations. Um, <clears throat> Currently, the Constitution does not have a committee on public relations. We, we do, but it's not a permanent uh, committee. So the proposal is that the addition, an additional sentence dealing with the public, with public relations as a permanent committee uh, is made in sub-article 7.4 of the Constitution. So the proposed wording will, would be public relations with the chair and members appointed by the president in consultation with the executive committee so that our permanent committees would include public relations. Does anybody have questions about item number three? It's Leona Holloway here, so public relations officer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think wanted... you'd love to comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to note that I, I very much support this um, amendment. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> Thanks, Leona. All right, I'll move on to number four, uh, cross-referencing cross uh, constitution and bylaws. And this is basically just that we propose that references to the bylaws um, by the constitution and vice versa should be made in order to guide users of the two documents. Uh, there are some um, overlap and uh, just so that they can know where to find uh, appropriate information, uh, empowering or enabling provisions that uh, may, be, may be needed, that they may be looking for. So anybody questions, comments on us sort of cross-referencing these two documents for clarity? Okay, uh, item number five, immediate past president, deterritorialized to make sure I can say that word 10 times fast. So um, currently the constitution does not have clarity as to the deterritorialized de position of the immediate past president. Now I know why Chavani wanted me to do this report. He didn't want to have to say that word 10 times. Sub articles 6.5.2B of the constitution stipulates that the president does not represent his or her country. We, we argue that uh, this position should also include the immediate past president. So the proposal is that uh, a new paragraph, D, is inserted here to deal with the status of the immediate past president to the effect that uh, he or she, she or he is deterritorialized. 
The proposed wording is as follows. The immediate past president shall remain deterritorialized for the duration of the term. Any, any comments or questions on that? Um, Margaret Bradshaw from the UK. Hey, um, Margaret. Hi. Um, I've got a question and a, a, a proposal. Um, one, my question is, what, what difference does it make if the immediate past president is deterritorialized? Does, how does this affect, what impact does this have on the running of ICEB? And what would be the drawback of not having the immediate past president not deterritorialized? So... Um, one of the things, and please any other exec members if you want to jump in, but what happens is that for now, um, so the past president goes, like, let's say with Christo, if, if the past president uh, represents his or her country, then whomever was previously representing um, the, that, the president's country sort of has to go away which is one thing and another thing is that it's it's part of the reason for having um the value of having the past president kind of stay is just for transition for continuity and and things like that so we just felt that it since the president had already been deterritorialized that um it kind of made sense to continue that. Does anyone else on the executive want to respond more um, or respond in more detail to that? Yeah, just just a quick one, Jen, uh, while I'm still a bit stable. <clears throat> um, the, 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 the second reason that, you are, that Jen has given is quite important because the originality of the immediate past president is that of him or her having been a president at first. And, and having been a president of ICEP, you are deterritorialized. And for that, uh, we felt that it is important that this arrangement should continue because the immediate past president has got some responsibilities expected of him or her uh, to carry out uh, during the term. So it would, to us, it, it would have been very advantageous that the person should be deterritorialized. Thanks, Shavani. And one thing, too, that um, I guess just to add detail to that is that the past president, correct me if I'm wrong, um, ends up chairing the nominations committee. So it's definitely ideal if they are not representing um, their country. Thank you. Um, could, can I also just propose that in, whether or not this is agreed, uh, that the wording uh, of the constitution be slightly altered to, so that his or her country would be changed to their country to make it non-gendered. Um, I've read through the constitution and nowhere else is there a gender mentioned. I think we could kind of consider that sort of a friendly amendment that's not, I don't, what, what do you, uh, what do other delegates think if that's, you know, if that's something that I think we could very easily, you know, you're not suggesting a, you're not, it's not a, a content revision in, in the same sense. So um, are there any objections to that? Uh, it's Mary from New Zealand. Um, I wonder if I could um, make some comment about this, please, Jed. Please um, do. I'm, I'm really troubled that um, this conversation 
while it's really good that we're raising the issues that need attention, is actually ultra-virase the Constitution, in my opinion. If you look at Article 9C, um, it says that constitutional changes need to be circulated um, to all members 60 days prior to the start of the assembly. Um, now, I'd, I hope you can correct me, but I did not receive these changes 60 days prior to the assembly. I understand that COVID-19 has been a huge problem for everybody in the world. But originally, um, we were going to have a meeting in May, so we should have seen these constitutional changes back in March. And so as countries, we haven't had the opportunity to look at wording. And so words like cognizant and um, there's some other language too. One of the things that we've tried to do over the years is try to have international language we don't need a dictionary to look up things. Um, and I, um, that no one needs a dictionary to look up something, that the language is straightforward. Um, that's a challenge for any constitution, but it's a challenge that we've worked on um, historically. Um, so I actually am really happy that the conversation about these issues continues but I would prefer that we actually refer the constitutional changes back to the incoming executive committee um, and allow the executive committee to look at the language, recirculate the proposed amendments, um, allow the countries 30 days or, or some similar time frame to get back and say, well, I'm uncomfortable with this and I'm comfortable with that. And also then call, um, allow a 60 day time frame and call a special meeting of the General Assembly. We actually do have the opportunity to give everyone fair time and a fair chance to look at these changes and feel confident that they're all needed, the language is unambiguous and straightforward and, um, and that way it, everyone could feel confident. Um, I don't want to go through which ones I'm really happy with and which ones I'm not. I'm much more concerned about process and making sure that everyone can be confident in what we're discussing. And I know constitutions can be really boring. Bylaws, by the way, are the responsibility of the executive committee. Um, so um, I'm, I'm just troubled, really troubled about the process that we're, we're following uh, in terms of trying to approve these changes today. Um, and I really encourage us to have the conversation by all means, but, but I would urge that we um, refer this matter back to the executive committee to in ensure that article 9.3 is honored. Thank you, Mary, for your comments. I'm going to uh, refer it to other members uh, or invite other um, delegates to comment. I did just want to point out that, or not, well, I, I just wanted to, to note that uh, Yes, we, we, I guess, you know, we, 
technically could have gotten these out earlier. I know had we gone ahead in person in May, we had documentation ready, um, but that doesn't that doesn't really change the point now. But I, I do just want to I did just want to mention that from the perspective of the executive and the planning committee that we didn't just sort of carelessly not bother to get the documents out to people. Um, so does anybody, uh, exec members, delegates, anyone else want to comment? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I guess I can continue to go through the report, but I would like to know what others think. James Bowden no. from the UK. Okay. Go ahead, James. So I absolutely understand what you're saying there. Um, the, the, the counter would be, does anybody actually have any objections? Uh, I'm not saying we should get into a discussion about that, um, but I think we should probably work out what to do with the constitutional amendments uh, in this meeting. Um, perhaps the bylaws committee might like to do that and perhaps to make a decision what we shall do to adopt or reject each of the amendments either in 30 days time perhaps or or at a, at a mutually convenient time thanks james i i just and i i don't know how others feel but i um i mean i have no you know if we take this back to the executive that's fine this my point isn't an argument against that but i hesitate to commit anybody to trying to plan um another meeting because I understand it wouldn't be on the scale of what we're doing right now, but I, I do know that it was not easy to coordinate. So I, I just sort of hesitate to uh, kind of put somebody in the position of having to plan a, a special general assembly. So that's just a point that we would need to consider if we're going to if we're going to go that route. Exactly. So we need to work out what are we going to do? Yes. Um, to adopt or reject the, the proposed amendments. An alternative option might be to um, request email votes. But I think that the 60 day um, rule needs to be applied to allow everybody the opportunity to look at the pros and cons um, of of the um, the language, um, the way things are expressed, to make sure that there's proper clarity, and and actually to honour the constitution. Um, I don't want to imply that the um, executive committee was um, negligent in any way and not circulating this, but either we have a nine point three clause with 60 days or we don't. And um, I'm sure that one way or another, we can come up with a solution to make sure that each member country has the time to consider um, these amendments so that the constitution continues to be um, clear and robust. Hi, uh, Jen. Yes. If I may just chip in again, you yeah, I, I think I think um, Mary uh, has a, has a good point. Um, if if one has to respect the wording of the constitution, that is exactly what the letter of the constitution should be uh, followed. So 
I would agree as chair of bylaws that uh, the exco should give us guidance uh, through the uh, president uh, if if we were to take this to the incoming exco for it to circulate it as requested then we do that and we have someone who's facilitating the voting process uh, after 60 days uh, I, I think i think that could be a doable thing uh, and and i would perhaps on behalf of the bylaws committee take uh, personal responsibility in apologizing that that was not done it was perhaps supposed to have been at the behest of the bylaws that it must be circulated as as expected and as uh, provided for in the constitution particularly because the bylaws committee is the committee that is expected to understand better and to give proper meaning to the constitution and the bylaws of of the ISAP. so i i agree with the proposal uh, but it won't be up to the bylaws committee or up to me as chair to uh, to commit to that the executive um, will have to guide us and if delegates are permitting that to happen that will have to happen like that thank you um does do we have other um other comments um jen this is dina Mudli, south africa um could we not then uh, as a proposal um you know send this back uh, to the exec let the exec circulate it to all country members and give 60 days for the countries to decide amongst themselves as to what changes and what they accept and don't and then get the presidents from those countries to then feedback into um feedback to the exec because i think uh, to try and get uh you know all the delegates to to comment might be uh, a difficult process as well thanks for that suggestion um i would i would like to, was someone else going to speak sorry sorry james james Bowden in the yep. uk um i totally get the 60 days um do you want to have an additional 60 days or do you want to just have the remaining 30 Dean Tina or Mary. Uh, well, actually, Mary, what I'm yeah. suggesting, yeah, w w what I'm suggesting is it it should be sixty days from the day it gets circulated again out to to the uh, either that or we can take the date that it was circulated from now uh, plus sixty days to to actually because I think trying to delay it too long as well is is you know counterproductive as well. We have five minutes remaining for constitution and bylaws. Okay, I would. I'm going to ask um, uh, Christo, Judy, FM. Do you guys have any comments on this as well? Just I, I'd like to uh, have input uh, from you. Not not to put you on the spot. I'm trying to let um, Ilka. Um, Christo, yeah. Well, Okay, Christo and then FM. Thank you. Um, I think it would be prudent to refer this 
to the executive committee uh, with the recommendation that it should be uh, circulated. And I think it would be fair uh, to give 60 days from the date when it gets circulated now so that everybody understands the process and has time to, to get their people together and to consider uh, these uh, motions to amend the constitution and the bylaws. Judy Dixon. Go ahead, Judy. I agree. And FM. I think this is an absolutely reasonable and, and doable approach, and, and we can do this. Okay, FM. Did you <clears throat> this is FM from the United States, and I um, was just going to remind um, all the delegates that we have set up breakout rooms by country um, for this uh, General Assembly. So at any time, if um, the chair um, wishes to, or if the delegates wish to um, discuss things within their own country uh, delegation, we do have breakout rooms set up for you for that purpose. So that's just another tool we have during this GA. Thanks, FM. Maria here from New Zealand. Um, I do support what you've said, Christo, and I acknowledge Eugene for handling such a tricky situation. I, thank you, Maria. Um, so just to confirm, actually, and I, 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 I mean, I'm sure it wasn't 60 days. I don't actually know. I can't remember off the top of my head the date that all of the documentation was circulated. Um, I... I'm okay. So I guess two questions. One is, so we're going to refer this to the incoming executive to recirculate and we will um, have countries vote, um, submit their votes by email. Is that what we are? Chair Dina Mudley? Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I think we need to clarify the process. Yes. Uh, that once it once it gets circulated, you know, sixty days. Is it all delegates then vote, or is it just the country um, presidents actually then you know give feedback? One thing I would say is that because we vote by country, I would think that because this would have been, um, you know, we're discussing it here. I I I think that I would like if if it would work for the delegates within each country to arrange, it's, it's much easier within a given country for the delegates to set up, you know, a meeting where they can discuss it and have, you know, they've got 60 days, we've got 60 days. And then one of the delegates who's designated can, you know, can submit the vote. Phyllis Landon, Canada. Yep. One Hi, Phyllis. One of my concerns is, you know, Mary has raised some points and Margaret has raised a point of a change to be made. Um, should we be looking at this and submitting our request for changes that would then uh, go back? Uh, I mean, you, you can't have, even if you've circulated, if you make further changes to it, then you need another 60 days, do you not? Yes, I would. I get what you're saying, um, and and 
I realize that we're totally running low on time, but we have to figure out how we're going to go forward before we move on to the next uh, item. So um, I guess, are we going to consider the version that has already been circulated as the version that we're going to ask delegates to review? Because I think that would probably make, well, I don't know, I was going to say that would make the most sense, but I'm um, certainly open to comments. May I make a comment? You may. It's Mary. Um, yes. The the version that's been circulated, I think absolutely consider that version, but I would invite the incoming executive committee to look at language. Okay. Um, please. And that's called friendly amendments. Um, yes. If there are unfriendly amendments, I agree with Phyllis, that could cause a lot of difficulty. But could I encourage the incoming executive committee to consider friendly amendments carefully? Um, and, and, and it may be that even the incoming executive committee might say, do we need to constrain the constitution to this extent because we have the bylaws? We, we need to remember that we've got bylaws and a constitution and the constitution is overall empowering, but because we can only change it once every four years under normal circumstances, we tend to try and let it be as, as non-prescriptive and as generalist as practical, uh, whereas the bylaws allow us to be a little bit more prescriptive and change things from here to there. Um, and so, for instance, even the cross-referencing, um, if you're going to cross-reference from the Constitution to the bylaws, you run the risk of the bylaws being quite constrained because it could be that um, you need to add something to the bylaws for a really good reason and suddenly the cross-references have gone wrong. So right, it's we'd really, have to update it a lot. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, you, and then you'd have to change the Constitution to update it, to cross-reference correctly to the bylaws. So could I just ask, you know, the incoming executive committee to, to just look at these um, proposals um, and think about friendly amendments and think about the practicality of, of each proposal and whether it's better to deal with it in the bylaws than, than in the constitution. Um, yeah. Now, hmm. Jen, yes. Yes. Uh, I'm. I'm sorry. I just know that we have more program we need to go through. I recognise the absolute value of of this, and if we need further discussion, then then perhaps we need to look at you know the the remainder of the uh, program and and you know where we can make some some time for that. But I just wanted to let you know uh, we are uh, about three minutes over time. All right. Thanks, Dave. Could I suggest? And I guess I'll just ask if anybody objects to this or has an issue with it. Uh, if we, um, goodness, uh, if we sort of end this conversation for now and the incoming executive does as Mary has has requested, uh, we, we look at the language and we determine what really needs to be in the constitution and what should be in the bylaws. Um, and then uh, sort of as soon as we are able, we will send this out. And I would like to suggest that we send it out to the delegates. Um, 
that would have voted on this here at this assembly and give the 60 days and have country votes from <clears throat> there is does that sound like I, I know we don't normally vote by email but or do we wait another four years I guess that's hi Janet's Natalie Hi, Natalie. Hi. <laughs> um, so I have I have personally no problem with what you're proposing. I agree. I think it's it, obviously it's very important that we follow the process. My question, just to help kind of move this forward, is: Are you looking for each member country to vote in favor of what you're proposing, or right what now? Do you, you mean? mean? What, yes. What do you need from us right now? I want to know if anybody, if if I'm understanding right what we think we should do, if anybody objects, and if that's what we're going to do going forward. That's, so I don't, I was thinking about suggesting a vote, but I really just want to know, does everybody... So, so I personally have no problem with what you're proposing. If if we are looking for member country votes, so then we would need the breakout rooms just so we can consult with our other delegates. Yeah, which is kind of why I didn't really propose it because we're so short on time. So I kind of just want to know so is Jen, there? Yeah, I think I think, I think the um, president indicated that a, you know further period of of review was going to be required on this. So. Um, can we adjourn this discussion for now and then um, the bylaws committee can consult with the executive and, and put some sort of... Uh, yeah, Dave, I'm fine with that. Dave. I just want to make sure yeah. everybody else is... Uh, d uh, this is Mandy, Mandy White here, um, UK admin. Um, I'm just saying I do think we might have a slot on um, the final day. Yeah. I'm sure we could have uh, 30 minutes on this on the final day if, um, okay. if we need. Yeah, no, okay. that's, that's useful. Thank you, Mandy. Yeah. Thank you, Mandy. It sounds like we'll still need to go with the the, the sixty day and and do that, but perhaps we can revisit. Um, yeah, I I'm. Thanks, Jen. Thanks. I didn't know Thanks, I was Jen. doing this report until about two hours well, ago. So. I know, and and. Uh... <laughs> We're going to give you um, a little break because I know you've got to come back and do the Treasurer's Report. So thanks to the work of the Constitution and Bylaws Committee. Uh, and now we have uh, a bonus session on the uh, Braille slate. Hello, Dixon. And I'm going to be telling you about my Braille slate collection I've been collecting Braille slates for more than 40 years. And at present, there are 282 unique slates in the collection. Most are for producing six-dot Braille, but there are slates for producing codes other than Braille, such as New York Point, Blue, which is a code for writing print with dots, and several forms of eight-dot Braille. There are also a number of upward writing slates. I have selected six slates to show you. First is one of the oldest slates in the collection. It is from the 1860s, made by a math teacher in Spain. It has one line of 53 cells. The front has no notches in the sides of the cell, which is still common today in some countries. And the back has furrows. I will show you what I mean by furrows. So here's the slate. This is the front. The slate is very long and it only has one line. And if I open it, instead of having 
rows of cells with pits, and it just has long lines, just straight long lines. Feels kind of like corduroy. Okay, that's the first one. The second one is the newest slate in the collection. It is called the Versa slate. It has four lines of 20 cells, and this slate is made by Overflow AT in South Korea. It's a paperless slate. You braille on one side and turn it over to read what you have written. So there's the front of it, and it has a stylus that fits into it and stays in there. And you braille on this side and turn it over, and there's the braille on the other side. And I use it, I keep it by my computer, so if I want to write a quick note to myself or write down a phone number or something, I just do it on that. It works really, really well. The third slate is the smallest slate in the collection. It has one line of four cells. It is called the Tyler Margin Guide, and it was made by RNIB in England. It doesn't have a hinge. It kind of looks like a paper clip. Just slide it over the edge of a page. And here it is. It has four cells. It doesn't slide it over the edge. Very cute. The fourth is the largest slate in the collection. This plastic slate has 29 lines of 34 cells. It is fairly modern, made by Onse in Spain. It also has sparrows. It has two pairs of Dymo slots on the front, holes to put it in a loose leaf notebook, and braille line numbers. So here is the great big slate. And Oh, I'm going to open it, and there's the furrow. Just run my fingernail down the furrow so you can hear. It, it is really like corduroy. So it has holes on the margin for a notebook. Very cool. Very cute. The fifth slate was specifically designed for writing on Dymo tape. It is called the Dymo Queen. It is a modern slate made by Caratech in Austria. It has one line of eight cells, a holder for a roll of tape, a cutter, and a place for creating one big dot so you can make your own bump dots. Here it is. There's the holder. There's the slate. It opens up like that. And uh, it's quite handy. And the sixth one is a memo writing slate from Japan. It has nine lines of 20 cells. It can be hung on the wall or sat on a desk. It has a foam back. It's top hinged and has a roll of paper at the top and a serrated edge for cutting at the bottom. It has a magnetic stylus attached at the top. Here's the slate, there's the roll of paper, and uh, I can tear it off at the bottom. There went the stylus. That's a very nice slate. So for more information about the Braille Slate collection, it has its own website. You can go to braille slates.org.
Thanks very much uh, for that Braille bonus session from Judy Dixon. We now go back to Jen for the Treasurer's Report and discussion. Um, we've got 30 minutes scheduled for this. All right, can you all, uh, can you all hear me? Sorry, 25 minutes it says here. Am I unmuted? Yep, you are, yes. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sorry. speak over you there. No, no, that's fine. Go ahead. I was sort of panicking. I've Okay. Um, all right. So I'm going to go through the treasurer's report first and then a quick run through of the actual financial statements. I'd like to um, get through them and then I will uh, take questions at the end. Um, so this report provides a summary of our finances from the 6th General Assembly to, uh, it says September 15th, 2020, but I actually have updated my versions of the report since then because there have been a couple of changes, so I will highlight those unless otherwise specified amounts are in US dollars and I'll explain why uh, in a bit. So quick summary, um, closing year-end balances for our operational account, 6, 000, uh, 2016. 6,797 08, 2017, uh, 10,175 36, 2018, 11,830 by the end of 2019 had $10,295.60. Not fantastic interest, but interest nonetheless. As of October 6th of this year, the operations account, which is in US dollars, is now at $17,636.25. That is because we've received two additional membership dues since I actually, uh, since this was sent out at the beginning of September, um, and some of the complications due to, to COVID actually making it a little bit more difficult for uh, people to deal with international wire transfers. The GIC is currently, uh, well, as of October 6th, it was at $10,387.05. Moving on, uh, the total, so our total assets uh, as of that same day are $28,020, sorry, $28,000. Thousand and twenty-three dollars cents. Expenses to date for the current year are nine hundred and ninety-seven dollars and twenty-four cents. That's the cost of the president's travel to the General Assembly. So um, it's actually going being refunded. It's just the airline. Um, it's it's just taking a while to happen. So right now it's still it still shows up as an expense, but we will. Uh, travel agent from South Africa that I have been dealing with. She's, she's been lovely. She is going to, uh, we will sort that out. And so that money will be credited. I'm just going to go through the notes here to clarify, uh, and then we'll go to the financial statements. So in the financial statements themselves, I've divided the figures from 2016 into two columns. One is January to September, 2016, and the other is October to December 2016. And the reason for that is that in October of 2016, Bill Jolly, who was the previous treasurer, um, of course, from Australia, he wired all of the money, the funds from our accounts to me in October. So it because it, the funds went from Australian dollars to Canadian and then ultimately to US uh, dollars, which I'll explain, it, it, I, it's like apples and oranges. I had to keep them as separate columns. Otherwise, it just wouldn't make any sense. 
so um, I, um, I, I set up a U.S. account because in Canada, it's very easy to set up U.S. accounts. And because all of our membership dues, the, the dollar amount is 500 U.S. dollars. So it just made sense to have a U.S. Um, a U.S. account instead. So that's why all of this is in U.S. dollars, even though I'm in Canada. Approximately $23,300 Australian was transferred to Canada in October of 2020. Um, initially, we had to have a Canadian account just because to set up all the online stuff, you just you couldn't do it without a Canadian account. So we had one. It was only used once um, when sorting out expenses for the president's travel uh, to the midterm General Assembly. At the time, I had to, we didn't have a credit card yet, and I had to pay for it and and be reimbursed by ICEB, which I realized was a little bit strange, but the executive, I made them fully aware of what was happening, why I was doing it. Um, I've documented everything as well, and um, this kind of thing only happened once because then we, we did get a credit card, so all of the president's travel or any other ICEB expenses that I need to pay for are done um, on our the ICEB credit card, which is in Canadian dollars because that was uh, it was much easier to get a Canadian than a US credit card. So just to complicate the fun of international money. Phyllis Landon has been serving as the second signatory and because she stepped down as code maintenance officer, um, the discussion at the executive was that um, I could ask the treasurer of our Braille authority um, in Canada to serve as the second signatory because it has to be a Canadian. And um, so he, Anthony Tibbs is his name and he has agreed in four years. Um, and Phyllis can correct me if I'm wrong. She had to fill out the paperwork initially and then I needed her signature when uh, we applied for the credit card. So it's really not something that the person, you know, unless I get hit by a bus or something, it's not something that we don't often require a second signatory. We don't have a lot of transactions. So in March of 2018, we got the credit card. Um, and um, what else? Canada and the US uh, pay our, we pay our membership fees with checks and or uh, money, money orders. We don't need to use wire transfers, but everyone else has to. And there are additional costs associated with that. It's, it's more complicated than you'd expect in 2020 to do international transfers. So some countries didn't factor in the amount of the wire transfer. Not that I'm not, this isn't a criticism. It's just that um, this happens sometimes and it, you know, it's $10 here or there and it, it's really not worth the hassle to try to sort out the difference. I just, um, I mention it so that when you look at amounts and you see kind of odd numbers, that's that's why it's conversion, it's wire transfer fees. Some countries overestimated, and so sometimes we'd get ten dollars or twelve dollars extra. Same, it's just not really worth trying to um, pay them back their twelve dollars. I've clarified this issue in the invoices, and it does happen a lot less frequently now. So um, going forward, we're it, it's getting better each year. Um, and my, so yeah, that's my, my final note on, um, the statements, a couple of quick highlights. We've already sort of talked about the financial review. You can kind of read the, the story here in, uh, the report, but basically, um, 
now, of course, you know, we haven't approved that change to the Constitution. So uh, it's not to say, I mean, if we don't approve it, and um, we'll have to revisit the issue um, of the financial review, that will be, uh, that will be a whole other discussion, because it is very costly. So in the meantime, I did, I didn't want to just come to the General Assembly and say, well, no one's reviewed these. So I did ask uh, Jesse Rivera, who is the treasurer of uh, BANA, Braille Authority North America, to review the statements. And actually, I'm very glad I did, because when you're spending so much time with numbers, it's just great to have someone else go through them. And she did catch a couple things that I just didn't, you know, it wasn't intentional, uh, but they just things I forgot to add in or just didn't calculate correctly. So um, she provided a letter, basically, um, that I can make available um, just that basically says that yes she reviewed them and and uh, her questions I've answered her questions and resolved uh, issues so when I take a quick overview of the financial statements there will be a couple of numbers that are different um, the executive has developed an expense reimbursement policy just to deal with, as again, we, we do pray for, play, play. No, that's not what we do. We pay for the president's, um, clearly I've been talking too much. We pay expenses for the president to travel to the midterm and the general assembly. So we, we uh, have developed a policy just to clarify uh, what we what we pay for and what's allowed. Um, one final thing is that um, one of the, the finance committee was charged with uh, developing a list of possible fundraising suggestions in collaboration with the public relations committee. I, I freely admit that not much has happened with this. Um, the main challenge is that we don't, we're not officially registered as a charity in any of our member countries, so we can't really issue tax receipts. So that is, that does sometimes deter people, but I just, I am going to, um, focus on if if I continue to be the treasurer I will I will put some more um, I will put more effort into this I just wanted to finally thank um, Christo and uh, Christo de Klerk and Phyllis Landon for serving with me on the finance committee so that being said I will um, just maybe highlight a couple things from this I'm trying to be cognizant of time so what I thought I'd do, instead of reading all of the numbers in this, I'll highlight the things that I changed since you got this report, and I will just sort of explain what all the categories are just to make sure that it's clear. So again, I've explained the, the reason for the January, September, and October, December 2016 division. You'll notice a column 2016-2019. That's really just for columns where there were totals. And so I thought maybe people would like to see the total income from December 2016 to the end of 2019. I haven't consolidated everything for 2020 because I do it at the end of the year, although our balance is the, the GIC will accumulate a little bit more interest, but we probably won't, there won't be any more income. So um, the general operations account, um, I've listed the opening balances. They kind of overlap with closing balances from that I that I read earlier. So if you want to sort of go through the, if you're a numbers person and you want to go through this in more detail later, um, I'm also willing to take questions, you know, sort of off offline if if people want to do that. I guess I can do that. 
Um, so income, uh, membership is are pretty much have been our only source of income with the exception of the interest on the GIC. Um, and this is why I highlighted the numbers. They're a little bit odd. Um, again, it's just because of the conversion, because of the wire transfer fees. Um, so I've, I've listed um, the income for each year. And sorry, I'm turning my page. Uh, donations, we didn't have uh, donations. Um, same with grants and um, interest. I, I didn't, we, I didn't, there's nothing in the interest column because the interest is on the GIC and most of these numbers are dealing with the operations account. Uh, moving on to other income. Again, there wasn't uh, any other income. The totals are primarily, the, they're basically the same, the total income. It's sort of the same as the membership fees. So from 20, December 2016, basically 2017, 2018, and 2019, our income has been $10,434.42. And um, all right, turning the page again, expenses, president's travel. So the only, um, again, in the, the 2016 column for Australian dollars, there are expenses. Uh, Bill would have covered this at the last assembly. And so I'm not going to go into exactly what that dollar amount was. The president's travel in 2018 to the midterm in Dublin was $1,755.73. That is uh, different, I believe, from the number that you have because um, I did a bunch of calculations the day that I paid for Christo's flight and then when it actually uh, when I actually paid it like when it actually um, came off my off the credit card it I my calculation was slightly wrong I was I was trying to do it based on the daily conversion of that day so our the bank statements show the amount um, the um, apparently I have screen reader is not there and that needs to go away. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so yeah, basically, I my calculations were um, a little bit off, but the bank statements that I have show exactly how much we actually paid. And so that's the amount I used to calculate this. And I realized that I hadn't done that correctly the first time. So that number is different. Um, and expenses, um, other expenses, grants, again, we didn't pay um, grants to anyone or for anything. Bank fees, this number is slightly different too. In 2019, it's, it was actually $99.44. There, um, there were some credit card fees that um, I didn't, when I was calculating um, amounts on this account, I just, I, I saw credit card and I kind of skipped it in my, I have a treasurer log that has every single expense, every single transaction listed so that I don't always have to read through the statements and try to find them. So I, that was just my error. I missed it. Uh, you can see $60, 45 cents, 90, 45. Those expenses are basically um, bank service charges, uh, wire transfer fees. The wire transfer fee went up in 2018, I believe. So that's what those expenses um that's what they that's what they refer to. Um, 
other, we didn't have anything that fell into the other category. Total expenses, again, I updated that number to 99.44 for 2019. Our total expenses since I've been treasurer, um, $2,071.82. So again, that's basically president's travel. Um, His travel included hotel, flight, and uh, transportation to the airport, uh, meals, that kind of thing. Um, and then the banking fees, uh, net income. Again, this is the net income is basically the same because our income and our membership fees are pretty much the same amount because that's our main um, source of income. I'm almost done. And okay, transfers to and from Canadian account. This was basically whenever I paid off the the credit card because it's in Canadian dollars. So the $1,606.73, it's the amount of US funds that I needed to, that had to go to pay off um, Christo's hotel and his, and the flight to the midterm. So that's uh, what that amount, that's what that amount is about. Uh, Net operations transfer, uh, there wasn't, um, the only thing to note here is that in 2016, uh, $10,000 from the main, uh, the operational account went on to a GIC um, so that we could earn some interest. Uh, uh, The the next column, I apologize, I actually probably should have removed this because it really only applied um, when the funds were in Australia because um, there was a savings account and because I don't, we don't have that now. Um, it, it, it's kind of a real, the only, the only, um, the only item of note was before the funds actually came, uh, to Canada. So, um, moving on to, uh, I think that's, oh, okay. Sorry. Um, moving on to the GIC, just to highlight, uh, these are the year-end balances, which I noted earlier in my report. But um, the total interest earned, again, it was two ninety-five and sixty cents, but it's now it's like three eighty-seven and five cents. And that's basically the overview of the financial statements. Does anybody have any comments or questions? You have five minutes. Uh, Dina Muddy from you. South Africa. Hi, Dina. Dina. Okay, Jen, thanks for a great job. Um, it, you know, keeping all the figures balanced is not uh, not an easy job. But I just want to point out there's one error in the um, in the financial uh, spreadsheet. Uh, in B33, there's a calculation error because there's a formula error in there. So it doesn't Oops. give you a total. It just gives you an error. Oh, all right. B33. Okay, that, that is year end, and it's uh, um, in A33, in B33 is your Yeah, I'm uh, just pulling that. Uh, B33. I'm sorry, I have the Braille version that I'm following from. I do have the Excel. Uh, are we talking about the GIC or the, the operational uh, right, account? Right, right, right at the bottom, it says year end, A, yes. A33. And then can you, in can B33. you read the dollar amount with that? Uh, no, it, it because it's protected at this point. Um, so what what I'm seeing is just just an error in the actual formula. Okay, I I will look at that. I just because I have a hard copy Braille document in front of me, I can't. I don't quite. I don't quite know where you are, and I'm not seeing 
that, but I will, I will look at that as soon as we're done. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just can't. Uh, it, uh, in C33, oh. you've got a number that says um, 10,279. Um, uh, sorry, two, uh, 272. Um, is that your dollar amount in, in C33, but in B33, you've got an error. Jen, it's Phyllis. Yes. I'm yes. looking at, at the Excel that you sent out, the Excel spreadsheet. And what he's referring to, it's under GIC, under 2019, and it's got uh, four hashtags. But oh. up in the uh, formula bar, it says it's 10,295.6. Oh, and, for, what, and I'm looking at 2019, and it says $10,295. That's 60 cents. Okay, I'm going to look at the spreadsheet and fix that um it might just be that you haven't given enough room on i on think that so column. yeah i think that i never doesn't fit in that column yes i i yes i think that's what and, the issue and, is and, so i will adjust that yeah and i see in column a all all the uh, um text is actually cropped right throughout that that column so i think you need to just expand that column as well yes thank you sorry it didn't look it wasn't an issue for me so i didn't realize it was an issue for um for you guys so i will i will fix that thank you thank you okay i think we're probably just about out of time are there any last is james bowden from the uk Yes, James. Just for our international people, can you explain what a GIC is? Guaranteed uh, insurance certificate. It's basically like a bond sort of thing. That, not a bond, but you you put the money in and it's it's locked in for a year or a year and a half or two years, whatever you specify, and then it just it earns whatever amount of interest the Bank of Canada says it earns. Thank you. You're welcome. One minute. Okay, if there are no more questions for Jen, we will move on to promotion and publicity. Thank you very much, Jen. Really appreciate Thank you, everybody. you've been talking for nearly an hour, so you're probably ready for a break. So let's I move, sure am. Let's move swiftly on then to the promotions and publicity report and discussion, including the website and newsletter uh, with Leona Holloway. Thank Leona. you, Dave. Can you hear me? We can. Yes, beautiful. Okay. You have 30 um, minutes, Leona, um, but it is, we are running 10 minutes behind schedule. I probably don't need 30. Okay. <laughs> We're okay, I think. Um, okay, so firstly, I wanted to reiterate, we have in the Constitution um, a position for the uh, Public Relations Committee to become a standing committee. Um, this is the first four-year term that we have had a Public Relations Committee. Um, and they've been very helpful, um, not just in supporting me as the public relations officer, but also in terms of um, spreading the word to their local networks. Um, so I want to reiterate that I think that's a very important committee and that we do continue with it. 
Um, the committee has a representative from each member country, like our other committees. Um, so over the last four years, we have achieved quite a lot, um, mostly in terms of creating communication channels um, and communicating through those channels. Um, and I think they will be able to serve us well into the future. So our main work has been publicising the work of ICEB, uh, sharing Braille-related news to raise awareness of Braille and its importance, uh, sharing resources, events and news that is assistance of, to, of assistance to Braille readers and producers and teachers. So the, as I said, uh, we've done a lot in terms of communication channels. For social media, uh, we first entered the world of social media in 2016 with a Twitter account, which is at ICEB Braille, just in time for the sixth General Assembly at which we started tweeting. Um, and since then we've tweeted over 300 times and we have over 270 followers, which is not a lot, but it's gradually building and that's the way that things happen with social media. Um, we are, of course, tweeting throughout this General Assembly as well when we're using the hashtag um, ICEB20. I do hope that everyone who's listening can have a, um, who's on Twitter can have a look, join in the conversation and help um, share our work um, and all of the good things that are happening in Braille that we're talking about. Uh, also in social media, we established a Facebook page in February 2017, um, and we have over 400 followers on Facebook. Um, most posts reach around 150 people or so, but if it's a really popular post, it can reach more than 2,000. So that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, the content on the Facebook page and the Twitter account are often um, the same, but there are some differences um, just in terms of suiting the, the different media, um, sometimes it's, it's better to have a couple of differences, things like retweeting, etc. Um, also, uh, anything that's on the Facebook page that's likely to be of long-term value, we are uh, putting onto the ICEB website. We have a, sorry, I've just lost my spot. <laughs> um, so we have a page where we group those things by subject matter. So things like Braille success stories, Braille technology, learning Braille, and you can skip down to those topics quickly to find everything on Braille music that's happened in the last couple of years. Um, and hopefully this is a useful resource and it also fulfills one of the charges for the committee. Um, the third new communication channel for ICB that we've introduced is the ICEB announce list, which is a one-way email list. So it just sends out um, notifications to our 150 subscribers. It's not a discussion um, list. It has fairly low traffic, um, but it's, it's important, I think. So it's used to send out announcements such as changes to Unified English Braille Code. Um, it had, has information about the General Assembly, uh, and it's also used to distribute the ICEB newsletter, which I'll come to in a minute. Um, the majority of the subscribers on Facebook and on Twitter and through the announced list are from 
our ICB member countries, but we do have a modest outreach to other countries as well, which is great to see. And I'm really pleased that we have um, people from a, a wide range of places at the assembly as well today. Um, okay, so on the newsletter, uh, this was another charge put to the committee that we have completed in this term. So the first newsletter was produced in December 2018. And since then, it's been produced and distributed every three months uh, with the eighth edition released last month. Um, and it's made available, as I said, through the ICEB announce list. It's also stored on the ICEB website and it's advertised through the social media channels. Um, it contains a mix of ICEB news, UEB, FAQ, and test your knowledge for a bit of fun as well as sharpening up your skills. Uh, we have news from the broader Braille community and also report on recent events and upcoming events that may be of interest to people. Some of the newsletters have had special focus, so things like Braille in museums and galleries, Braille research, and Braille online service delivery. When we move to all doing everything online. Um, and I have received positive feedback on the newsletter generally, but I would be really interested to know which sections are of greater value to our readers. Um, and I want to take this opportunity to extend a warm welcome to people to submit articles that you think would be of interest. Um, in general, I've only had a few people approach me to say that they have news, um, but whenever I ask someone directly, would you be interested, they're really thrilled to be asked. So I know there's a lot of really, really great stuff happening out there and um, we'd love to hear from you and be able to share your great work. Um, okay, moving on to the ICE website. Uh, it's located at iceb.org. Um, and it's a serviceable website, but it's not fancy. Um, we have had talk for quite a while about to doing a total redo of the website, which we haven't done. Um, we have extended it instead. So um, it now has a lot more links to assist with navigation. So at the top of each page, you can navigate to other pages or to the important topics on that page. And we also have a navigation page in itself. Um, for quick links. Um, and we've also added a few new pages and updated content. So the sig most significant changes have been um, that we've added a page for the Public Relations Committee, um, which has got the newsletters, it's got all the, um, the archive news items, etc. Um, we have a page for Braille Music Committee, um, thank you, Geordie, for all of that content. Um, and there's also a page for the Braille Signage Committee, which is no longer running, but we now have an archive of the, their work. Um, and we've, I've also done a lot of tidying up of the UEB pages in collaboration with Phyllis. Um, and we have a new page for UEB training materials, which are available for free. Um, and that, again, fulfills another charge for the committee. Um, and we also uploaded documents on setting up a Braille authority, which was written by Mary Schnappenberg, and a guide to low-cost Braille production, which is written by Jean Obi. And again, those will fill some of our charges. <laughs> um, 
we have done a lot, but we haven't done everything. Um, so we do have some charges that remain outstanding. Um, we have been unable to work with the World Braille Council to publicise UAB in countries where English is a second language. Um, and we also wanted to set up a joint working group for UAB in developing countries in collaboration with the World Braille Council. Um, and we also have not yet made use of press releases to promote the work of ICEB. So there are still a few things that we need to revisit and see whether they're doable and also to um, move forward with. Um, just in conclusion, I wanted to thank the ICEB Executive Committee for their guidance and for the many ideas that they provide, especially like the, with the three monthly meetings, we have little country reports and that often gives lots of great ideas of things that we can promote and share. Um, I wanted to thank everyone who has contributed to the ICB news newsletter, so giving ideas, writing articles, um, transcribing it to Braille or proofreading, checking. Um, and of course, thank you to the PR committee for their assistance. Um, I think that promotion of Braille is a really important ingredient to ensure access to Braille, um, to raise awareness, and it's something that each and every one of us can contribute to, uh, whether it's just through our daily conversations, um, by passing on the ICB communications to your local network, or helping to create content that we can share. So thank you to everyone. Um, I, I do feel like I've kind of used a splatter gun approach in this term in terms of like just like trying a lot of things. Um, and this would be a really great opportunity today to get some feedback on what has been working better for people. Um, so what things should we continue um, to focus on into the future? Are there any questions or comments? Yes, Landon. Oh, Canada. Uh, uh, just kudos to you, Leona. Uh, such progress has been made in the last term on promotions. I, I think you've been doing a wonderful job. I have no um, cause for concern at all. <laughs> Thank you, Phyllis. Jim McCafferty from the UK. Yes. Hello. Hi, Jim. Uh, Leona, I would just like to say to you, thank you for your interesting research papers that I get uh, thanks to the good offices of James Bowden. They are very interesting, and I think it's a, a great job that you're doing. One of my tasks on behalf of UCAF, which I thoroughly enjoy, is that I edit our magazine format Matters, which is produced three times per annum. So thanks to you for your, your interesting material that is submitted to me through James. Thank you, Jim. And I think we should we should go both ways as well. So if there are um, people who are producing newsletters with local content that ICEB could share, um, it'd be great to um, hook in and we can go both ways. <laughs> well, I can, I can easily send you a copy of Format Matters. You know, Format that's Matters, not a I'm writing a note. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Leona, this is Natalie Martinello from Canada. Yes, Natalie. I just wanted to echo um, the words of, of Phyllis. Just congratulations to you and the committee for all the work you've done. And the newsletter is wonderful. We share it with our members 
um, whenever it's released. And it's such a great way to know what's happening and just really, really good work. Thanks, Natalie. And it's been great to um, include some of your work as well. <laughs> Hello, uh, Leona. It's Mary. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have been so pleased to see all your work over the last few years, and you've called it scatter gun. But in my experience, um, that's actually the best way to go because not everyone is on email. I can't believe just how many people are on are not on your announcements list. Not everyone is on Facebook. Not everyone is on Twitter. Um, not everyone looks at the website. And so in today's world, um, the, the scattergun approach, I'm afraid, is about the only way um, you can go. And, and when I think about, look back to 2004, which was the first um, ICEB General Assembly I attended, from 2004 to now, the, the information landscape and how you get stuff to which people has changed uh, and hugely. Somehow you have the skill to operate in, in a huge variety of places and spaces and you've used those skills. And, um, and I, I can understand that it is an absolute honor to write for your newsletter because it's so much fun and I learn stuff that I didn't know. Um, which I think is, is great. So thank you very much for all your work. Um, you will be a hugely difficult act to follow. But the point is that you've taught us that you have to try everything. And there's no right way. There's every way will, will engage with someone. So thank you. Thank you, Mary. Although that's not good news. <laughs> we have to do everything. Um, <laughs> I do think as well that um, it doesn't need to be just the PR officer who's um, communicating through these channels, that we can um, share the load um, now that we've got things established and we, we, we've, I've got kind of general rules in my head as to how things work. So um, that can now be shared with a few people. Um, to increase the uh, the output and also decrease the, the load on one person. <laughs> this is, I'm looking for um, volunteers. <laughs> FM from the United States, not volunteering. <laughs> but I did um, have have two two questions. One one is. Um, I love the, the newsletter and my favorite part is the, the little UEB question <laughs> that you have with the answer at the end since you wanted to have feedback on what people like the best. That's that's my favorite part. And I like to share that with my students to see how, if they get them right. Um, <clears throat> and secondly, um, you mentioned that one of your, the things that you feel like still needs some, some work is the website. And so I just wanted to know if you had like a, if you had a dream website, like what kinds of things might, might you want to include um, or would like to see on the ICEB website if you could create the dream website? Um, okay, so to, to the first comment, I wanna pass that on to Phyllis. I could see her smiling because she is the person who does the Q and A for us. So thank you very much, Phyllis, for that. Um, in terms of the website, I think there's probably two things. Um, 
so obviously there's always more content um and i'm pleased to see i think that there are more is there more there's more that we can do from icb in terms of putting forward positions and um, promoting strong statements on braille um which i hope will happen in the next term it looks like it should um also i think that um just it's it's just old and clunky so it's it's a little it's not easy to maintain as it is so it'd be nice if it was on a platform with a user interface that's really nice and easy to maintain um and that then also feeds through to the fact that it's it doesn't have all like a drop down menu etc to navigate through like everything had to be hard coded in um and um it doesn't look pretty either so for sighted visitors it's it is fairly bare bones and a little bit ugly <laughs> um but as i don't think that was the priority for, um and if we if we do want to completely upgrade the website i think it can be done um for free and but it will take a bit of work <laughs> so it's not something that i took on in this term but um we would need to consider the pros and cons and i, I as i said i think it's serviceable it's just not attractive <laughs> Jen Gordon from Canada. oh Leona, I just wanted to quickly say that before, um, yes, we can, we could get it done for free, but I just wanted us to be mindful of sometimes when you try to get something done for free, it just take, can take a lot longer. Sometimes it's just worth paying, but I'm going to stop talking and over to Judy. Judy Dixon, United States. Leona, I have good news mm -hmm. for you in the website regard. The, mm -hmm. Our website is actually hosted on the servers of the American Council of the Blind. They are updating and revamping all of their servers and all of the websites are going to be managed with Drupal. So we will be going to a content management system within the next few months. And um, we'll, a lot of us will be learning how to do that and we'll, we'll, we'll make it better. Awesome. <laughs> while, while remaining accessible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I just come in? Sorry, it's just one minute to the hour and I'm aware that um, there is 30 minutes scheduled for this session. We are running 10 minutes behind. So you've got 10 more minutes for questions if you want it, Leona. But uh, some people may need to be leaving us um, at the top of the hour, which is in just less than a minute from now. Thank you, Dave. Were there any other comments? Okay. Jordi from Australia. Yes. I'm just going to say well done on the Twitter feed, even for yesterday. It was just wonderful to go back after the session and remember key highlights from what you'd put on Twitter. It's really well done. Thanks, Jordi. It's, it's hard on Twitter to tell how many people are actually seeing it, so it's good to know mm. that it is being used and appreciated. <laughs> Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you very much, Leona. Uh, really appreciate that. And uh, uh, the promotion of Braille is a subject that I'm, I'm very interested in. So I'll be uh, 
yeah, I'll be reaching out to you at some stage, I'm sure. Uh, the topic for tomorrow is Braille technology. So please take time to read the uh, reports uh, that you can find on YouTube. And you can also listen on demand uh, on our uh, podcast. They'll be available there. Uh, and they're also played um, throughout the day on the stream. Uh, and speaking of social media, uh, remember to use the hashtag iceb 2020 20 uh, when talking about the conference on social media we really appreciate that thank you for everybody uh, who has contributed today uh, all the uh, the musicians um, I am confident that we have some space in the program uh, to continue that important uh, discussion around constitution and bylaws so uh, rest assured we will be returning to that thank you everyone on behalf of of the UK Association for Accessible Formats. Stay safe, stay well. I've been Dave Williams. Good night. Thank you very much, everybody. Dave Williams there finishing off the today's coverage. Well, today's uh, seventh General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille. It is now one minute past 11. And um, joining me is Holly Scott Gardner. We didn't have chance to introduce Holly. Uh, well, we introduced her very, you know, at the very start of the coverage, but we haven't come back to her since then, I don't think. So, hi, Holly, can we hear you? That's the first question that we need to check. I hope so. I hope so too. I think we can, I can hear you. So hopefully the stream can also. <laughs> if you remember to press the button. That's right. If I remember to press the button. <laughs> but I remember to press the button. So <laughs> Which people who weren't here yesterday will be so confused. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they really will. So we, uh, we finished on time. Um, in stark contrast to yesterday where we finished early, but uh, we, we finished on time. So, okay. We, we made up some time in the, publicity report the treasurer's report kind of ran uh, that kind of ran about two time didn't it it was that it was really the publicity report where we made up that time yeah i think so the publicity report was very concise i mean the treasurer's report was within time and took questions as well so between the two of them they made up then that time that went slightly over yeah and i i don't think there was anything um terribly interesting well i mean it was interesting it was interesting to me to see that icb uh has more money now than it did uh four years ago so that seems like a, a good place to be in the treasurer's report but it seemed like a fairly middle of the road report uh, as far as that concerned apart from that one figure uh which was wrong and, and will be corrected the pr report uh, you've done some social media uh having had chance to see the pr report uh anything in it really that you wanted to comment on I think it's actually really good overall. I mean, when you consider that it was all established after the General Assembly in 2016, there's been really positive progress made. So the social media accounts, I mean, just joining them and having a presence on those is really important. I think there's so much conversation that happens online in the blindness field and really between agencies and blind people and it's perhaps the only way some blind people actually manage to connect with agencies is online so i think that's really important too for people to know that iceb is out there that they're working that this is what they do um and also to promote braille and obviously the newsletter has been extremely successful i think what i really see from this is that actually 
they're targeting multiple avenues rather than just one and that's really really important so they're doing you know twitter facebook but also a mailing list and a newsletter and you're probably going to reach different people on all of those platforms and of course some of the same people cross-platform but it's a good strategy and I think it works well with a quarterly newsletter they're not committing to oh we'll do something every month when there may not actually be something every month to talk about so it, it seems like a really sensible way of doing things that can actually continue. Yes, I've seen the ICEB newsletter and um, I think once a quarter is probably about the right sort of frequency to be publishing that, certainly at the moment. It's a really interesting newsletter, actually, because it's once a quarter and they're featuring Braille news, um, you know, not just news about ICEB, but there was a, an article about uh, the Brailcast podcast, actually, in one of the newsletters. Uh, there was an article about... Um, somebody who's brailing a million names in another newsletter uh south african world read aloud day and things like that so it's it's a really interesting newsletter and it's about the right length and uh, really good and i think if it was done more frequently than that then probably there wouldn't be enough content so i think they've probably got the balance right as far as that's concerned and long may that newsletter continue i was a bit skeptical when they first announced there was going to be a newsletter but it's it, it is always a really interesting read and i think that's an important thing isn't it that braille is interesting because so often we think of braille as difficult and braille as uh i don't know hard to learn hard to teach expensive primitive because there's technology so to make it interesting to me feels like a really good use of media in its own right I agree with that. I think it's very, very important that we talk about Braille in a positive way. I mean, so much of traditional research around Braille is very negative, is that Braille is slow, Braille isn't really that useful. I mean, I see articles being released about, oh, well, we don't need Braille anymore. And I even think sometimes we need to be careful when we release articles that say well how useful is braille and then we justify the usefulness of braille because whilst that's important i think perhaps we shouldn't have to justify ourselves we should just talk about braille in a very natural and positive way without begging for it to still be viewed as valid so i think this is really good about the newsletter that they share these you know exciting and interesting developments and maybe some icb news but also broader braille news I, th I think it's really necessary so the elephant in the room having discussed the pr and the treasurer's report and we've talked about the braille music papers earlier on the elephant in the room has to be the constitution and uh, it's always an interesting discussion around the constitution i seem to remember in 2016 that the discussion took uh, quite a long time uh, i looked at the constitution and bylaws report before we came in and i sort of was expecting some lively debate i was quite surprised that there wasn't lively debate sooner um you know there was there was talk of the cross-referencing and my thought was along the same lines as Mary Schnackenberg's that actually you can't cross-reference in the constitution because then if the bylaws change then you've got to update the constitution and that's a constitutional amendment that's got to go back to a general assembly so it kind of surprised me that people were so quiet um 
And then we had this very lively debate about language and uh, the discussion ultimately got deferred. So um, let's actually take stock of what happened. My understanding of where we are is that actually we got through most of the constitutional amendments before the discussion was adjourned. So they weren't voted in, so they're not binding and the constitution hasn't been amended. But it doesn't look to me like we've got many more amendments to talk about other than one other than the one that ended up being controversial is that where you are yes that's very much where i am the report was moving on um you know really progressing through it when this question was raised about well actually since this wasn't received um 60 days prior should this even be happening and it was interesting to me because I had read the constitution and I had read the um, report but obviously I hadn't put these together because not being a delegate or on any of the committees I wouldn't have necessarily known so it, it was really interesting because it wasn't what I expected either which I think can sometimes be quite exciting when you're covering an event that you expect there to be debate and there is debate but it's not in the area in which you think it will be which certainly I think made it a really interesting viewing experience. Yeah, and really interesting how the tone of the discussion changed from a very simple question from Margaret Bradshaw in the UK, a very simple proposal about making the language gender neutral, and then that very rapidly turning into a discussion about whether or not we should even be having it and the language of the constitution in general and and perhaps an undertone of, of that perhaps some of the other uh, constitutional amendments need to be reconsidered uh, in the light of the point about gender neutral language that was brought up not so much because of gender neutrality but because of uh, how legible or how understandable the language was and that debate moved on very quickly didn't it it was and it, and it really did get quite heated um, but there was only two more was it two more or or one more, yeah. There was there was a, an amendment that we didn't get to about funding officers to attend meetings, and there was uh, just a note that yep. some of those bylaws, even though they sort of hadn't been approved, uh, things like the the, the treasurer um, that had already sort of been done in in practice and uh, re rescheduling the general assembly because of COVID, the executive had already done that, even though it wasn't technically written into the bylaws. So we we did get most of the way through. The report, I think. So, where are we now? The discussion's been adjourned until Thursday. Kind of surprises me a little bit that we adjourned that discussion. Um, I would have kind of expected that discussion to have carried on all the way through and then perhaps adjourned the PR report to Thursday maybe or the treasurer's report to Thursday or maybe we would have made up time uh, later on in the week you know maybe there would have been a, a spare half an hour on Tuesday or Wednesday or something when that report could have been moved to so it kind of surprises me that uh, that it happened that way um, and I think we need to take stock of what that discussion actually looks like on Thursday what what feeling have you got coming back to it on Thursday what form do we think that discussion is now going to take? 
It's very, very hard to say because we don't know what decision will be made. So it could take several forms. I mean, they could choose to go into breakout rooms on Thursday for a designated amount of time, or I think we can reasonably expect delegations to be communicating before Thursday about this. So it may be that all the delegations will have already come to a consensus within the country and will say, well, actually, we don't need to go into breakout rooms for our respective countries. We can just have this conversation um, in the main room. It could be that there isn't really a satisfactory conclusion on Thursday. I mean, I expect there will be. But given the amount of time, and we don't quite know how much time will be given to it on Thursday, we don't know if it will be right at the end, if it will be in the beginning on Thursday, it's very hard because there's so many unknowns at this point. And I think that's the really interesting thing for me. What I would have expected to happen tonight was perhaps break off and come up with a set amount of time for it to be discussed on Thursday. I, I, I think it makes sense that a decision wasn't in the end made tonight. I think it would have been quite a rushed decision, but I would have expected maybe more deliberation on quite how it was going to look on Thursday or at a later date. Yeah, and what we're even making a decision on, because it feels like the original motion mm. on the table was to adopt the Constitution and Bylaws Amendments. It feels if we if we talk primitively for a second, it kind of feels like the motion on the table now is that we don't adopt them, that, that none of the amendments go through, and that it all gets referred back to the executive and that the executive then um, then posts it out. So is that what we're voting on? Or are we actually going to vote one by one? Or, you know, what now? It, there's, there's quite a few unknowns that I think need to be tied up in this situation. Yeah, I don't think either of us know. I mean, and I doubt any of the the meeting attendees know either. What I envision happening is for clarification to be made perhaps tomorrow on what that discussion will look like. I'm sure people are going away after this meeting and tonight or tomorrow morning having conversations about what happened today because it must have been a surprise to many people. So I, I envision that there will perhaps be comments about it tomorrow um or on Wednesday though I would imagine if it's going to happen it would happen tomorrow and for it really to be clarified what is being decided on Thursday because it doesn't seem like anyone really knows what I certainly read into the situation was that on Thursday they would be discussing um, the proposal that these amendments would be sent to countries and then they would have a deliberation period. That's what I envisioned would happen. And then mm. again, of course, the um, the committee would would call another meeting. The executive would call a meeting to then get that approved or otherwise. But that was certainly what I read into it. But I mean, it, it wasn't particularly clear was it as you've said no and i think these questions will start to come up amongst delegates now i think delegates will go and discuss and realize yes. that actually they don't really know what they're discussing which kind of makes it uh feel like on thursday the starting point for discussion might not be the starting point that some people will expect and that in turn could possibly make the situation worse because then there's going to be another discussion about what are we actually discussing before we actually get around to discussing it. And there are practical things that we need to think about yeah. beyond that. So, okay, um, the responsibility of the 
delegates of a general assembly and I, I sort of need your help here but the the responsibility of the delegates of a general assembly are to vote on matters that are discussed at that general assembly right so that's that's simple yes but what we're now saying is that the discussion is being adjourned in one sense or another. So first of all, the discussion is going to be adjourned to Thursday. But then what happens, presumably, is that it's going to be passed back to the executive, you know, assuming that we've got, you know, that that, that happens. So what happens is that it gets referred to the executive um, and then somebody's got to take a vote now on how all this works, right? Um, so who takes that vote is it the executive that takes is it the the delegates to this assembly that takes that vote does the uk uh do, do the countries have to appoint somebody specific to take that vote what what happens because technically this is adjourned business from the general assembly and so still the delegates problem right well it's not clear and i think this perhaps will result in wider discussion to perhaps clarify some of these issues for future assemblies i mean icb is still fairly young as an organization and so what will happen i mean certainly when we look at the constitutional amendment to um change the date and location of general assemblies which is only thought of because of covid right so as things happen, the constitution gets changed and it may be actually that these kinds of questions are clarified because of this situation, because this arose and now there's a question of well, whose responsibility is it. I have to say I'm surprised that something from Wednesday wasn't perhaps shifted into Thursday and then this discussion was had on Wednesday because if the discussion then runs over they may say well we'll just accept that Wednesday might run later or it could have even been Tuesday and aim to finish on time on the last day because the last day will involve a lot of wrapping up and thank yous and all that kind of thing so I'm almost surprised that that hasn't happened yes although the last day if you look at you know there's a three-hour session on the last day and if you look at what that what the last hour and a half of that session looks like it's not actually right terribly lengthy so I think I think if yes. I think if we think pragmatically it's probably fair to assume mm. at this point that there will be a slot on the last day. I think the danger of thinking yes. that way is possibly that uh, something else could overrun. Uh, so for example on Thursday we're talking about yeah. resolutions. So if the resolutions run over we then haven't got time to have that constitutional discussion. And so what happens then? So it will be really interesting to see how it all takes shape. And I'm sure there'll be much more said about it in the coming days. And I'm sure, as you say, delegates will go off and have their discussions and it will it will all work out in the end. But it'll be some fun coverage uh, as, as we as we go through it, won't it, to, to see this through to its conclusion and see what actually uh, happens as a consequence of it all. It will. I'm really excited, actually. I think it has the potential to result in some really positive changes. I mean, as I said, what it's encouraging um, ICEB as a whole to do is think about situations which perhaps haven't been considered before and okay how do we handle these kinds of situations which I mean is is why a constitution can be amended ultimately and why bylaws can be amended that that's why these things 
have the capacity to change because we understand that the scope of organisations evolves and as higher level discussions come up there may, there may need to be provision made for these so I think actually it has the potential to result in some really positive and interesting changes. It'll be certainly interesting for us, as you've said, to cover it. And I agree with you that it will get resolved. I have every faith that it will get resolved. I just don't quite know how, and that, that in itself is part of the excitement. So, it's 20 past 11. I think it's probably safe to wrap up our coverage for today at that point, uh, you've been listening to coverage of the 7th General Assembly of the International Council on English Braille. Day three. This is really weird because day one was Sunday and I always think of day one as Monday. So I'm kind of feeling like we're on Tuesday already, but we're not. We're on Monday at the moment. It's Tuesday tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so tomorrow we have six papers so uh, that it'll be interesting to see how quickly we can uh, summarise all those and, and get some discussion out of them. Six papers on Braille technology chaired by James Bowden. And those papers are talking about automated Braille production, uh, fixes in Liblui, uh and all sorts of other things of, of that nature. So uh, that's that's happening. Um, Tune in to the stream from, uh, I mean, we, we've sort of nominally said half past seven, but I mean, we may very well get underway slightly earlier than that. So uh, feel free to be a bit trigger happy on the stream tomorrow. And uh, on the stream, in the meantime, <laughs> we will be uh, bringing you the papers for tomorrow. So if you do tune in early, you'll just get an opportunity to listen to some of the uh, recorded presentations of, of tomorrow's papers. So uh, that's happening tomorrow. We also, uh, along with it's the second thematic day. So uh, the theme is technology and therefore James will be presenting the Braille technology report. And we also have a discussion of code maintenance. The code maintenance committee report will be um, presented by Kathy Reeson of Australia and there's a whole 90 minute session set aside just to talk about code maintenance and this is really potentially very nitty gritty stuff at this point uh, do, do you remember the apostrophe debate did I talk to you about the apostrophe debate did you get much about the apostrophe debate while it was raging yes yes <laughs> Yeah, so that's probably going to come up, uh, you know, revisions to guidelines for technical material. Uh, that's a big thing of the Code Maintenance Committee at the moment. Uh, it's the Code Maintenance Committee that get the job of devising new symbols and deciding, you know, how rules work and all of that happy stuff. So it'll be a really interesting discussion of code maintenance issues tomorrow. And uh, Kathy Reeson, a relatively uh, new chair of the Code Maintenance Committee, although she's been on the Code Maintenance Committee uh, for quite some time. So there you go. My voice is, uh, as you can hear, <laughs> starting to uh, get a bit tired. Please stay with us on the stream. Uh, we are going to broadcast that postcard that we didn't broadcast in the break. Uh, that will come up in just a few minutes. Just give me a few seconds to uh, go next door and sort that out. Uh, but for now, from myself, Matthew Horsepool and Holly Scott Gardner, thank you very much for listening. And we look forward to being back with you tomorrow. <laughs>